What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike, back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast on Millions, live streaming once again. We will be doing it every Sunday evening and either Wednesday or Thursday. It kind of depends on our guest schedule and just kind of how life works out right now. Um, Tonight, we have a interview that we're going to put into the audio version from one of our favorite guests, and that is Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show. Um, and ended up having to, with a scheduling issue, talk to him last night. He thought we were going to have to talk tonight. Is what it is, but that'll be in the audio version that comes out right after we finish this recording this. So I know I'm super excited about you guys getting to hear what he had to say because he is a blast, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to the rest of the show, we want to remind y'all about the insane promotion going on through Bet US right now. If you click our link, and that is a 125% bonus and 30 risk free bets. So come on and make some money with us. Go to that link in our Instagram post or the pin post in the Facebook group and make some money. But before we get to that, I know both of us have had a hell of a week. So, how has yours been? It today has been especially crazy um, in the area, but I, I I won't go into too much detail with that. Um, you know, some some uh, you know in the group text, and then you know people close to me know just some stuff that was going on at work today. Um, but everything's all good. Um, Link, um, my uh, my middle son had his last uh, practice before his uh, first game on on uh, on Saturday morning. I we have to be up and there at eight thirty in the morning on Saturday, so that's gonna be a little bit tough. But outside of that, I'm just you know excited for a uh, you know another football weekend. Uh, how about you? Oh, dude, this week's been insane work wise. Today I actually got home early. For the first time this week, I mean, there was one day this week I got home at literally eight o'clock. Um, and then, you know, went went and played uh, the local disc golf club, and and got home in time to record. Super excited. We we're supposed to start at eight thirty at night, and um, I hit send on the uh, link to Mike, and power goes out. <laughs> it only went out for about 30 seconds to be fair but then my router didn't know what to do my computer wouldn't connect to my router once everything powered back up so i had to restart the computer and that's why we're about 15 minutes late tonight um but i did have a couple of drinks at disc golf so you boys back on some caffeine free diet coke because i'm trying to go trying to go surfing at like 6 a.m tomorrow so yeah, the swell is supposed to be a lot this weekend, right? Because of the uh, storm out, you know, way out there. It's not gonna impact us weather wise. Yeah, 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 no, I mean we're we're talking like double the size of normal tidy waves tomorrow morning. So, mm-hmm. so I'm supposed to meet a couple guys out there and hopefully get something. Hell yeah! You know, just your average degenerate here drinking <laughs> beach, beach bomb. <laughs> and the thing is, I have short hair now. 
You know, I, I feel like it would have fit better when I had my long ass hair, but is what it is. Sick brag. Wish I could grow hair. Besides my back and other places. <laughs> I'm actually getting a haircut tomorrow, and then depending on how quickly it cools down this year and out in Savannah, I may may start to grow it back out some. But I will not have uh, three years of growth before I cut it again because it just gets too damn hot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You ain't lying. All right, so now is when we are going to cut to our South Carolina interview with Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show. And then when we, when you guys hear from us again here in a second, it will be talking about the rest of the week. Gordon. And... All right, guys, so we have Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show back on with us tonight. I am recording this solo because we had a, uh, snafu on some timing stuff. So it's just going to be me and Chris for this one. But how's it going, man? John, first things first, appreciate you having me on, man. I've been following you guys from afar, obviously, since we last spoke. And you guys are doing a great job with Nothing Finer Than Podcast. And I appreciate you, my man, being flexible with uh, the timing and everything, of course. I know we had kind of a, you know, some mix-ups, some craziness, life getting the way. But uh, really excited, man. Obviously, the SEC opener in Athens this weekend, Gamecocks and Bulldogs. And you know, it's a special one, John, when you think about the fact that these two teams won't play each other in 2024 for the first time since 1991. So looking forward to the ball game. Obviously, South Carolina, a heavy underdog, but excited to see how it plays out. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, anytime you want to come on, just let us know. We love having you on. You are one of our favorite guests. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I know you guys – uh I'm not sure if uh, we we got over the Beamer Ball stuff to you, but the towels and the koozies. If not, let, let me let me get to you after this, and we'll we'll make sure we hook you up, my man. Because I know e even even dog fans, we got to rep the, the the Beamer Ball merch here and there. So I, I know that you guys have seen it, and we we've talked about it off air and stuff like that. But yeah, so I do have a towel. I actually took okay, it okay, to the. Right. Um, I was wearing a Georgia jersey with a Beamer Ball towel at the Florida South Carolina game last year, <laughs> so everyone was confused. Um, I love. But no, um, first question. I know we'd spoken earlier in the offseason about you might go to this game. Mm -hmm. Are you? So I'm actually not going to be in the game at Sanford. The reason, John, and there was a good reason for it, I won't be at any South Carolina football games this season, at home or away, because, uh, number one, we've committed to covering the games uh, in studio, creating content, obviously. I, I just see a lot more at home on TV when I'm on Wi-Fi, you know, I post videos at halftime after the game, what have you all throughout the game as well. The biggest reason I would say though, is because after every single game immediately following, we are doing a post game call-in show. So we've already done two of those after North Carolina and the Furman game will be live immediately following the South Carolina, Georgia game on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at the Spurs up show and we'll be taking calls, questions, comments, but the callers are really the the big piece of that, and it gets pretty unhinged. So uh, th that's the big piece right there. That's the big thing that we're doing after the games, and that's the big reason why I'm not going. We're more so, I'd say, committed to the contents this season more than we ever have been, and it's a really exciting thing. And I would expect the post-game call-in show to be as electric as any after the game <laughs> I will say I'm a little disappointed that you won't be there because I know we had talked about uh, meeting up at a tailgate. So 
I am this, I am this, slightly I, sad. I'll say this, John. This this won't be a forever thing where I won't go to games. Um, I think we'll probably get to a point to where I will go to games and maybe leave middle fourth quarter after the third quarter and because I, I love the post game call and show element. But to your point, there's nothing like being there in person. And I've been in Sanford before, and it's a it's an electric atmosphere. And so rest assured, you you will see my face around Athens, Georgia at some point. I could I promise you that. Well, Tonka Hemingway doesn't think it's an electric atmosphere. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Poor, poor Tonka Hemingway, John. He's getting in trouble for what he didn't say, right? You go back and he's asked about, you know, he's just a college kid dealing with the media. Hey, what's your most hostile environments? And he says, uh, uh, I mean, I mean Kyle Field, you know, Neyland, that, those are some pretty good ones. And that is somehow a shot at Georgia. Listen, I'm not mad about it. I'm not taking it personally because I get what Kirby's doing. And when you're going for three straight national championships and you're fighting complacency and you're a four-touchdown favorite, you got to use every little thing you can to fire up your team, fire up your fan base, fire up your program, and say, you know what? If Kirby wants to cling to that to get people fired up saying that we got disrespected by Tonka Hemingway, so be it. But let's all understand that that's exactly what's happening. And Tonka Hemingway did not quite exactly take a shot at Sanford. I oh yeah, no, I, I know, right? Okay. I know, I know. I just <laughs> um and I think a big thing is um with the first two games being cupcakes, the in stadium environment was not great. Um so yeah, I think Kirby just wanted to try wake and get some up more. a little bit. I get it. He yeah. wants to wake folks up. Listen, he's a master motivator. That's why he's the, I think right now, the best coach in college football. I mean, get tip your cap, give your credit, but uh, it's been fun watching it on social media, man, because Gamecock fans certainly have not taken too kindly to, uh, to Kirby's comments and then some of the other Georgia entities, what they've had to say about it as well. But, hey, SEC football is here, my friend. That's how you know when it yes. starts to get wild on, on social media. Yes. Um. So... South Carolina was a popular upset pick this offseason for Georgia. Obviously, things have changed quite a bit in the first two weeks. And spread is now 27 and a half. What is the biggest thing that has happened over the last two weeks? Well, John, first I want to say that I, I was not one of those that – and I hear what you're saying, and I do agree with you in the sense that, like, when you looked at Georgia's schedule and everybody went on record and said this is a this is a cakewalk, this is one of the easiest schedules in the SEC, what have you. And I even, you know, had Wes Blankenship on the show, and I asked him point blank, I said, is it that the schedule is that easy because all the teams Georgia plays are no good, or is it that easy because it's Georgia playing that schedule? And – you know, he said it's a little bit of both, but mainly it's because Georgia's so much better than everybody else because they still got to play Auburn, Tennessee. You know, you still have the SEC grind, and really it's it's those two games I looked at as the potential pitfalls. I know Auburn's and not Ole Miss great, is but, looking good. Yeah, Ole Miss too. That, that's going to be a tricky game. Lane Kiffin's certainly one that can give you some headaches. But, you know, South Carolina for sure, the SEC opener, Carson Beck's first test, you know, Mike Bobo, two new offensive tackles, Georgia – you know, a retooled defense with the with the departures of some key guys. So, you know, I think the biggest thing, though, John, that happened, um, I think over the course of the offseason, because the South Carolina hype train, it lost steam slowly but surely. Many Gamecock fans don't want to admit that, but it did. And I think one of the biggest reasons was because of roster turnover. You know, South Carolina was 
impacted greatly by the transfer portal, losing Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd, Jordan Birch, Gilbert Edmond. And the Gamecocks, you know, filled those voids for the most part, picked up some, some nice pieces, but not quite dudes that were names that filled the void of those guys who left, right? I think also, so roster turnover is the first thing. The second thing, though, and the most obvious and glaring is what happened in week one. I mean, South Carolina just getting blasted off the football by a North Carolina team that wasn't all that great at times abysmal on the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, South Carolina surrenders nine sacks to a, to a UNC defensive line, John, that had 17 all of last year. They got nine in one game. Also, the Gamecocks on the flip side could not generate a sack against Drake May. He's back there playing seven on seven and picked him apart. So I, I think that ball game as well, I think that is a reason, a massive reason. If South Carolina goes out there, they win week one, they look impressive. I don't think the spread is nearly what it is. Going into the week, but, you know, all that considered it is, and, and South Carolina has to overcome those deficiencies, you know, that I just mentioned on, on the line of scrimmage, and also their top weapon, Juice Wells, uh, who has not been 100% and is still battling back from an injury. I think his stats right now in the season are like two catches for 10 yards. has been a non-factor practically. Uh, it's kind of 50-50 up in the air, whether he'll be good to go and be back to the normal Juice Wells that Gamecock fans all know and love. So, you know, I think roster turnover, number one, John, and I think that week one performance, number two, I think you combine those two things, and that's why you see a four-touchdown spread in Athens. So what is Shane, Bo Shane Beamer's approval rating after the first two weeks of the season? Is it are, is a majority of the fan base still Beamer ball to the moon, or are some Gamecock fans getting a little uneasy? Well, listen, nobody, John, is immune from the effects of losing, right? So I, I would be telling you a fib if I told you that nobody was griping after week one and that nobody was upset or had any complaints. With that being said, I would still say that the approval rating is extremely high. I would still say it is Beamer ball to the moon just because when you look at it, I mean, number one, that one game, that one week, it doesn't erase all of the goodwill that Shane Beamer and company have built up through two years, right? And beating Tennessee and beating Clemson and the way you closed out the 2022 season. And, and I think Gamecock fans too, you know, we were very upset, you know, rightfully so after that performance week one. But we all know too, any Gamecock fan mail, mailing it in on the season right now, you're making a mistake because Shane Beamer's teams have shown – they improved so drastically from week one to week 13, right? So while South Carolina, the biggest thing I said, John, was just withstand the gauntlet in the beginning. If you can start three and three or better, South Carolina has shown a knack to get hot down the stretch and improve, and certainly the schedule sets up very favorably with four straight home games to close out the season. So, you know, I, I would say that the approval rating is still extremely high. I, I think the hopes on this season are still extremely high. Now, Saturday, I think, can go a long way in that. I'm not saying the Gamecocks have to win, but I think showing some encouraging signs, right, that things are heading in the right direction. If South Carolina can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the dogs for two or three quarters, or even make it a fourth-quarter ball game, and, uh, you know, no moral victories, obviously, but just showing that type of progression, something they have not been able to do against Georgia, that would go a long way as well. But, no, John, I I'd say the approval rating is still extremely high, but – Hey, listen, we got an entire season to go. And while I'm certainly not, you know, insinuating, I think anybody that after year three, no matter what the record says, anyone who indicated South Carolina needs to make a change or Shane Beaver's not the guy, they'd be off their rocker. But you know as well as I do, John, in this world of transfer portal, and God, we see like what Deion Sanders is doing, right? He flips his roster overnight. And now they're 2-0 and and they beat TCU in week one. And 
it is the 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 expectancy of coaches to turn programs around and win. It's becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. And no coach is immune to that, not even Shane Beamer. But right now, John, I'd say the approval rating is still extremely high. It still is Beamer ball to the moon in Columbia. As far as the uh, the giving a coach a chance, I've always thought you give a coach four years. You give a coach time to get their recruit in the door and to a senior. And if you haven't seen the some sort of improvement, at least in the last two of that four years, then it's time to move on. But coaches getting fired after one, two, and three years just doesn't make sense to me. I, I would agree. And I think especially a place like South Carolina, where admittedly, John, it's just harder to win. It, it's just flat out, it's harder to recruit. It's harder to get quality coaches. It's harder to win because history is against you, right? The program has forever and ever been a 500 program. Shane Beamer is fighting all of those things. And I think, John, the other thing that's going in his favor is they're recruiting at an extremely high level. I mean, right, he understands, you know, Shane Beamer was under Kirby Smart. He, he's been on elite football teams. He gets that an elite football team is built in the trenches. And where is South Carolina's problem right now? The trenches. And they've got some guys right now, three or four true freshmen, that I think are more talented than any veterans they have in there. Uh, even this, this next crop of 2024 signees features three or four more that are fantastic players in the trenches, both offensively and defensively. So, they're building this thing the right way, and, and I think you can revamp your football team through the transfer portal. But when you're talking about building in the trenches, I just I think that's something that really does take time. It's if you're going to flip your roster to where you're going two or three deep offensively and defensively with the big uglies, there's no simulation for that. There's no expediting that process truly to do it right. So, listen, I, I said this when he was hired, John. I think the Gamecocks need to give Shane Beamer unless things head drastically off a cliff. I think you need to lock in for a decade and just and just let him build and see what happens, right? Give him real time and the opportunity to build the pro, build the program uh, in, in his likeness, in his image, what have you, the way he wants to be built, and then see what you have. Because South Carolina in their history, uh, they've had a tendency to pull the trigger a little bit too early on coaches and not give them time. And I think with Shane Beamer, you got to kind of dig your heels in and, and let him work and let him grow and – and let him build. And I think if South Carolina can do that and be patient, which college football fans are not that, especially in the SEC, but I think if they can do that, I think South Carolina fans will like where they're at in a couple of years. Yeah, and with what you were saying about building in the trenches, I mean, as good as Colorado is offensively and defensively, the lines of scrimmage is the weakest part of their team by far. Yeah, and and they're in a league that won't expose you, right? Because I, I I've – I've had many people telling me, hey, South Carolina should do what Colorado does on the offensive side and, uh, you know, let's go air raid, let's do that. Like, that's all fun and that's fine and dandy to talk about, but when you play a Georgia, when you play a Tennessee, when you play a even a Florida, man, Mississippi State, Alabama, LSU, the list goes on and on, that ain't going to work, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. Don't have, if you don't have some semblance of balance and you can't move guys around, you don't have a chance. I mean, even when you want to look at what Mississippi State did with the air raid under Mike Leach, mm. like rest obviously rest in peace, Mike Leach, but they had multiple draft picks on the offensive line together at the same time. And with that style of offense, they never really competed for a conference or a, a division title. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think South Carolina, it's it's, you know, we I feel like a broken record because since Shane Beamer has been at South Carolina. We've been talking about the line of scrimmage year after year after year, but that is truly, I mean, this offensive line they've got right now, man, 
And we'll see it on Saturday. Maybe they've taken major strides since week one, but it might be, and I'd venture to say it's the worst offensive line of the Shane Beamer era. And it's going to take a masterful game plan offensively uh, by Dabble Loggins, by Shane Beamer for this Gamecocks offense to really click and get anything going on Saturday against a really, really stout Georgia defense. So while we're talking about the offensive coordinator, you mentioned Dowell Loggins. So at the end of last season, nobody wanted to play the Gamecocks the way they were playing the last few weeks of the year. So my question is, why did whoever was calling the plays against those ugly orange teams not get the OC job? Well, you know, there's it's it's a not so much a mystery, somewhat a mystery in Columbia of who was calling the plays because Marcus Satterfield was the name of the Gamecocks previous offense coordinator. He had called every play for the last, what, 22 games. I think it was something like that. And, you know, while there was no official demotion publicly, you know, from talking to folks, John, it's, it's pretty well understood that the playbook was taken out of Marcus Satterfield's hands and, and we're not rightfully so <laughs> rightfully so we're, and to your point, why was that person not hired? Well, number one, we're not, totally sure who was calling the plays was it Freddie Kitchens who's now at North Carolina was it Justin Stepp the wide receivers coach was it Shane Beamer himself was it someone else I think it was a group effort you know when Marcus Satterfield departed I, I think it was one of those things where Shane Beamer from the jump said Dowell Loggins is my guy he wanted to go out and get his guy and so you know it was a hire that Admittedly, I was not fond of. Let's just call it for what it is. I think he's done a great job thus far. But at that time, my first reaction was, who in the world's Dowell Loggins? I never heard <laughs> of him. Then I go do some research, and I saw his resume in the NFL. Not great. Not great, John. Let's just call it for what it is. He was once listed as the worst play caller at the NFL level. He's not thought of very fondly by many of those NFL fan bases, of the te of those teams he coached at. So, um, but again, Shane Beamer backed him, said, this is my guy. This is my guy. This is the guy I wanted from the jump. I wanted the first go around, what have you. So, you know, if you're a Gamecock fan, you're wearing garnet and black, you just have to trust Shane Beamer's word and roll with it. So to answer your question, John, I just don't know if it's as simple as, okay, the guy that was calling those plays, he should be the OC because we're not 110% sure if it was one person, if it was a group effort. Um, you know, from what we understand, and I don't think Marcus Satterfield completely was just – kicked out of the offensive room. But what happened was a sort of come to Jesus meeting where it was like, okay, we have, you know, 22 personnel packages. We're going down to seven. We've got 15 word play calls. We're getting rid of those and we're simplifying everything. And we're just going to allow our dudes to go out and play ball. I don't think they necessarily reinvented the wheel. They just got rid of a lot of the unnecessary overthinking type stuff, which is exactly what Dabble Loggins is doing. Like, the offense, if you watch it, I think it's going to look very, very, very similar to what they did last year, right? But it's not going to be overly complex. There's not going to be a bunch of check with me's at the sidelines. I think they're going to play more free, more efficiently. And you're seeing that early on, John, with Spencer Rattler. I mean, he has completed it. I know it's North Carolina and Furman secondaries, and I don't care who the opponents are, though. He has completed 83% of his passes through two games. Has not turned the football over yet, which was his Achilles heel last year. Now, we'll really see what he's about this Saturday when he takes on Georgia. But Spencer Rattler, the biggest takeaway, John, for me through two weeks, he looks so much more comfortable than he did last year. 
despite the opponents, because even against Charlotte, SC State, those lesser opponents, quote-unquote, last year, I mean, he looked confused. He looked like he's moving half speed. He's, like, thinking while he's trying to play. And you know as well as I do, man, the SEC speed, you can't operate that way. So I think South Carolina is already feeling the positive effects of Dabble Loggins. And, John, my prediction for the season was this. Is Dabble Loggins an upgrade of Marcus Satterfield? Yes, he is, because nobody can be a downgrade. Let's call it for what it is. <laughs> how, how much of an upgrade is he, though? I don't know that we're actually going to see that this year because of the deficiencies on the offensive line. Like, this isn't a surprise that the offensive line's a problem. I was surprised to see them give up nine sacks because I didn't think in any world that was possible. But it's not a shocker at all that the offensive line's an issue you know, the 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 X's and O's are great, but you know as well as I do, John, if you don't have the Jimmys and Joes, you're going to struggle. So it's a balancing act of having the right OC in there, but also they've got to upgrade up front. As soon as they do that, I think you're going to see South Carolina find a lot more success offensively. Yeah, and I I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of people are surprised this season with what they're saying after um, after the first two weeks, and that's we feel bad for Spencer Rattler. I mean, watching – I granted, I watched zero plays from that Furman game, but I watched a good bit from the North Carolina game. And he was out there playing his ass off, running for his life, and throwing darts that either hit the guy in the hand and they didn't catch, or he was getting laid out while he was throwing the football. Like, he is doing everything in his power to will this team to have a better offense, and it just seems the offensive line – can't allow it. Yeah, I, and I mean, to, to be frank, John, I mean, it's, it's again, you ask about the approval rating of Shane Beamer, and it's extremely high, but, you know, I'm someone that, you know, I give my opinion, and I speak critically on things, and I call it for what it is, and I, I think South Carolina, you know, swung and missed in, in the portal this offseason many times. I think offensive line was one of those. I mean, you look at who they lost, right, the three that departed uh, because of, lack, you know, running out of eligibility, what have you, going to the next level, going to different things. But Eric Douglas, their center, Jovan Gwynn, who was an all-SEC guy, second team, and then Dylan Wanham, a right tackle, who wasn't an all-conference guy, but a solid player in his own right. Then they lose Jalen Nichols, their best offensive lineman, in the spring game, right? So they returned 50 less starts from last year, and they lost their best offensive lineman. To plug those holes, and I'm going to say this, with all due respect, but let's call it for what it is. The Gamecocks went to the portal, John. They added players from Western Illinois, Yale, Mercer, and Charlotte. Mm. Nobody should be surprised by the results mm. they've seen thus far. And so those guys might turn a corner. Don't get me wrong. But you saw it against Furman. If you didn't watch that game, South Carolina has youngsters like Trovon Bow, Marquis Anderson, who didn't play but will play, Jatavia Shivers, Big Tree Babalade, Big Tree, of course, being his nickname. Those guys came in, they looked better than those transfers because, as you know, experience, it's one of the most overrated things in college football and college sports because yes. you can have a fifth or sixth-year senior, but if he ain't worth a damn, who cares? I'd rather play the five-star freshman with a ton of upside. So it's a gap year for South Carolina in the trenches. That's the unfortunate part. And to your point, man, it's, it's what it's doing is it's putting all of the pressure – on Spencer Rattler to make plays. I mean, it's it's a miracle he hasn't turned the football over yet because he's having to play hero ball, and that was my greatest concern, John, over the summer. I fully expected Spencer Rattler to be much better, but the thing that I'm terrified of is, is when South Carolina gets one-dimensional, when that offensive line, 
and that running back room, by the way, it's going to happen a lot this year. And there's only so much he can do, right? And in a yeah. game against Georgia, what you fear is that, you know, especially if Georgia goes up, I know you guys have had slow starts, but Georgia goes up, you know, 14 nothing, 17 nothing, and all of a sudden he's pressing and feels like I got to make a play for my team and makes an ill-advised throw and Georgia picks it off. And then this thing snowballs, right? So this will be his greatest challenge yet. I'm really excited to see what Spencer Rattler does because I really feel like, John, even if it's in a loss, if Spencer Rattler is able to go out there, throw for 300-plus, couple of touchdowns, doesn't turn it over, like, I think low-key you got to start looking at Spencer Rattler as like, is this guy in the Heisman race? I mean, is he – you know, he won't win it because his team's not going to win 10, 11, 12 games. But, like, when you talk about most valuable players <laughs> or their football team, there might not be no more valuable than Spencer Rattler if he keeps up this level of play. But like you mentioned, overcoming that line of scrimmage – overcoming a lack of run game, overcoming. I mean, South Carolina, John, they ran for 2.8 yards per carry against Furman. So maybe the offensive line takes a step this week, but you don't want to come in between the hedges looking to generate and get your run game going. That's not typically a recipe for success. Yeah, and so to go back to what you were saying about talent over experience, this is actually, um, ironically, in the 2019 season, I was very frustrated at the time because my thought was you have Justin Fields on the bench. The offense can't get going. If the offense is going to be bad, let it be with a guy that's learning and not with a group of guys that can't make plays. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I mean, and I think that's how most of us feel about South Carolina's offensive line. Now, you know, I, I think it's a balancing act against Georgia because the last thing you want to do is, play a bunch of freshmen and they get baptism by fire and their confidence is just shattered, you know, forever. You right? don't want to pull a Dan Mullen starting Anthony Richardson in his first game against Georgia? <laughs> right, right. You, you don't want to completely shatter their confidence forever. But it, it is definitely one of those things, man, that I, I am someone that I think there needs to be a youth movement on the Gamecocks offensive line. I mean, it's no secret, those young guys. I mean, just going back to the Furman game, John, again, I know it's Furman, but – when you look back at it, South Carolina's the three of their top four graded offensive linemen from that game, they were the true freshmen I spoke of. So, like, that is the future. That is the quote-unquote great wall of Carolina, as they nicknamed it on the recruiting trail. And so I think they need to really invest in, you know what, and it's unfortunate because you have Spencer Rattler, you have Juice Wells whenever he comes back healthy, you have Xavier Leggett who is freaking just balling out right now. And so you kind of feel like, man, it's going to be such a shame if we can't get the most out of those guys and, you know, match last year's win total or even go win more. But at the same time, you got to play the best available and you got to build for the future, right? Because you've got a great young quarterback in Lenore Sellers who's waiting in the wings. He's going to need somebody to protect him. He's going to need the offensive line. He's going to need that protection up front. And so, you know, I, and I think you're getting your best 11 out there if you put those freshmen out there. So, while it's not a recipe for success to win big at the SEC level to have a bunch of young guys and a bunch of freshmen on the offensive line, I, I just think, John, that's kind of the position that South Carolina is in right now because if they go out there and they roll out Sidney Fugar from Western Illinois at left tackle and Jackson Hughes from Charlotte the guard and you know some of these other guys they've been rolling out there, I think they may be questioning their decision to play football after Saturday. I, I think it's that bad on the offensive line. I'm not trying to be overdramatic either, but um, anyways, it, it's 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 a tough situation for for Shane Beamer, for Dalva Loggins, and, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be kind of one of the defining things of this season is how they're able to solve that. So for the running game, 
Is it is there an in-house solution at running back, or is it almost entirely the line? You know, I, I think running back's another major issue. Um, you know, I talked about the portal in South Carolina not capitalizing, swinging and missing. I, I think the running back position was yet another one. Um, you know, South Carolina loses Marshawn Lloyd to the portal, obviously goes to the other USC, Southern Cal. Christian Beal Smith, it was a Wake Forest transfer, graduates, he's done with football. And so after Lloyd's departure in December, we all expected, okay, South Carolina, they're going to go out to the portal. They're going to get a proven power five guy, somebody who's carried the load before. And they just weren't able to land anyone. So now, right now, what you have is on Joyner, who great athlete, but he's a converted quarterback to wide receiver to running back. You guys know about on Joyner, played quarterback in that 2019 game. So he's been around for quite a while in Columbia, right? Uh, but he's gone from quarterback to receiver. Now he's at running back, right? Was asked to shoulder the load at RB1. Then you have Juju McDowell, who's more, you know, five foot nine, like 180 pounds. He's more of a scat back, if you will, not anything between the tackles. Then there's Mario Anderson, the Division II transfer coming from Newberry College, uh, who was a guy that won the Division II version of the Heisman Trophy. Like, he's carried the load and been a big-time running back, but at Division II, right? He showed some things against Furman. Granted, it was against Furman of physicality and running with a bad attitude and running with an edge and just running like a guy, frankly, who's actually played the running back position. And then there's Dontavious Braswell, who was a four-star prospect out of the state of Georgia, and there's high hopes for him. So... That's another work in progress, John. I, I just listen. I know um, I, I know as much about them probably as you do in the sense of like where do the answers come from, right? Like who is is it going to be running back by committee? Is there a true RB one in there? I think it's probably by committee for this entire season. I don't think South Carolina has a SEC caliber RB one in that room. They got a lot of nice supporting cast pieces, RB twos and RB threes. But I think South Carolina just frankly dropped the ball when they didn't go out and get a guy that was proven at the Power Five level, not snagging a guy like Demi Sumo from NC State, not snagging a guy like Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, not being able to land a guy like Logan Diggs from Notre Dame, who they were in on. So, um, I mean, what you got is what you got, man. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will say this. Do I put the blame more on the running backs or the offensive line? I put it on the offensive line because I, I think on Joyner is a good enough athlete to make things happen. Like if the offensive line was really good, I think he could operate with that. I'm not saying he'd be an all SEC running back, but I think the running game would be good enough. So I put more of the blame on the offensive line, but they don't have a big time running back either. That's going to make anything special happen in my opinion, until we see otherwise. And uh, maybe we're surprised on Saturday, but uh, you know, through two games, South Carolina, 106 rushing yards, I believe through those two games. So, We'll have That's to see rough. something we have not seen to the first two ball games to prove us all wrong. So, Juice Wells, when he gets healthy, how much better can the offense be? I mean, I think exponentially better. I mean, they, they've – in the passing game, they've been pretty good, right? A lot of that falls on Spencer Rattler and him continuing to play efficiently and not turn the football over. We're, we're, we're talking about a guy in Juice Wells, man. And for as good as Xavier Leggett has been, he's been fantastic. He leads all the power five and receiving yards. I mean, I think Juice Wells is, is the best receiver in the SEC when he's fully healthy. Uh, him and Malik Neighbors from LSU, they are the, you know, 1A, 1B in this conference. So we saw the explosiveness, the downfield threat of Juice Wells and what he did for South Carolina. And those Tennessee and those, you know, Clemson games don't happen without the emergence of a Juice Wells. So 
I, I think the offense can exponentially improve. I think the downfield passing attack gets that much better. It's another weapon for Spencer Rattler because right now, going into this game Saturday, John, you know what I worry about is that, you know, and I don't think Juice Wells is 100%. You know, Shane Beamer's played this whole gamesmanship thing where he said, well, you know, I talked to Juice and he told me he's going to play. And it's like, well, what do the doctors say? Like, what are right. like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a vague kind of dancing around the answer. He doesn't want to say that Juice is out or Juice isn't 100%. But Dabble Loggins, actually, I'll read you this quote today, went in his press conference and said, quote, it's been a process. He's overcoming an injury that most people, 99% of the world, wouldn't be back from. He's done a great job. He's ready to get out there, and he's hungry. So he's obviously been hurt, been battling an injury he sustained in the offseason. Um, when he gets back, though, I think it's a huge boost because it's going to take the pressure off Xavier Leggett and the rest of the offense. And as I was just saying, you know, what I worry about is that Georgia's defense will take Xavier Leggett away. It's who is the other guy? Who is the next guy? Is it the tight end position? Is it another receiver? So I think the passing attack exponentially improves. But, John, back to my you know point I made a couple of minutes ago, how good this South Carolina offense is going to be this year, it is solely going to be determined on – can they improve on the offensive line as the season goes? And can they find some semblance of balance in regards to running the football, passing the football, and having some balance there? Because as much as Gamecock fans might want to believe that the whole air raid, let's, you know, I got people telling me, Chris, they're gonna, they're gonna go to Athens and throw it 50 times. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> but good luck. I mean, if you actually think that's the way to go, good luck. You're gonna find out real quick in the SEC. I mean, if you tell Georgia's D-line, Tennessee, you see, you see Tennessee's D-line where they're doing 11 sacks through two games, you tell an SEC D-line that you're passing and they know you're passing, you, you stand no chance. You stand no chance whatsoever, especially if said defense can – they don't have to play the run and they can still stop your run. Good luck with it. You know what I mean? There's only so much Spencer Rattler can do. So I think, John, this offense, how good they are – you know, what their ceiling is, it's determined on can the running game improve. If it can, they've got all the weapons in the world in the passing game, and they've got the trigger man at quarterback to make it happen. If they can't, and when they're one-dimensional, that is when you will see them struggle mightily. So flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, it looks like a lot has changed since the end of last season. I mean, they were getting a ton of turnovers in those last two games, putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. What was the biggest thing that's changed? What has changed from last year to this year, you're saying, right, in regards yes. to pass rush? I mean, again, they they lost Jordan Birch, the transfer portal, and while he was a guy that maybe didn't live up to his recruiting billing, uh, was a former five-star guy, right, went to Oregon. Then Gilbert Edmond, who was forced into action because Jordan Strawn got hurt last year, was out for the year, uh, played, I would say, fairly well, for sure, a guy that was an unknown and I thought stepped in. Did a pretty good job. He transferred to Florida State, right? So he's gone. Also, I don't think it was talked about enough. The Gamecocks lost a former five-star in Zach Pickens at the defensive tackle spot, who's doing pretty well for the Chicago Bears right now in his first couple of games, or first game, if you will. So, um, and, and South Carolina, you know, they went up the portal. They added a Chatias Gear from the from Syracuse, who had three and a half sacks with the Orange last year. He has not played yet. I think that has been a major blow for them because they are very, very thin at the edge spot. I really don't believe, John, outside of Jordan Strong, they have an SEC caliber edge on that roster. Uh, and then they added Drew Tuazama very, very late from UAB, who was a high caliber player at another edge type of spot, if you will. So 
You know, the bottom line is this, John. There are talented individuals on that defensive line. You look at guys like a Tonka Hemingway, who Georgia fans are very familiar with, mm-hmm. like a, a Boogie Huntley, uh, Elijah Davis, who they added from Juco at D-Tackle, was the number one rated player at that position in Juco. You know, uh, T.J. Sanders or Nick Sanders. T.J. Sanders, Nick Barrett. I always get their names mixed up for some reason. But Barrett and Sanders in the middle as well at the backup spots. They're individually talented players, you feel like, but it just hasn't clicked. And, and so, you know, I, I feel like that's another position where roster turnover hurt them. You didn't add any big-time pass rushers. I mean, Jordan Strong's your top guy, and, you know, he was really good at Georgia State a couple of years ago, but he's also coming off an ACL injury. And so, you know, is he a step slow or half a step or what have you? So they just don't have any big-time pass rushers. Also, one of those things is that, you know, South Carolina fans have questioned the scheme of Clayton White. And, uh, you know, maybe he's being a little bit too conservative at times because Drake May sat back there and played seven on seven, John, and picked them apart. Right. So, and the pass rush, to be fair, it wasn't great last year. I mean, it, it wasn't great. It was serviceable, but it wasn't great. And I just don't know that South Carolina really, frankly, again, John, that they lost Jordan Birch, they lost Gilbert Edmond, they lost Zach Pickens. I just don't know that they really filled those voids. I, I don't know that they really upgraded. Now, I think the addition of Jatias Gear, it sounds like he very well may play Saturday. That would be a huge boost for South Carolina, a major boost because he was a really good player in the ACC, and they desperately need him because the the defensive front to me, I mean, John, I'm not trying to be you know, overreactionary to two games, but I, I'm very concerned about it. Let's just put it that way. I, I'm concerned about the Gamecocks and stopping the run. I'm concerned about the pass rush. I, I'm, I'm concerned about the front seven as a whole. So, you know, we'll see if it improves, but they've got some serious issues up front they got to figure out. So, in the back end of the defense, the first two weeks they had two interceptions against the uh, Heisman hopeful Drake May and then turned around the next week and allowed 243 yards mm. to Furman. <laughs> Is what's – What's the deal with the secondary? Because that seems like a up-and-down performance there. Yeah, John, I, I would still venture to say that it is the strength of the defense. Um, you know, you had a lot to replace there as well. You know, the good news is here, – here's the good news. You start out, you're led by a pair of All-American safeties, freshman All-Americans from last year, Nick eamon Worry and DQ Smith. Now, Depth is a major issue with safety. Nick eamon Worry goes out in like the second series of the North Carolina game. I think that's why you've seen it be leaky at times, right? Because, you know, admittedly also David Spalding, who was their nickel and who will be their nickel when he comes back. Keenan Nelson Jr. steps in, a youngster, a redshirt freshman. He got burnt against UNC. Just call it what it is, right? So I think there's reasons it's been leaky at times. Also, they have a brand-new pair of corners in Marcellus Dial, who was very good last year, had three interceptions. He was a really good player down the stretch. And O'Donnell Fortune, who last year, it was a mixed bag, right? I, I said this, John, you're going to kick out of this before the season, that O'Donnell Fortune, there's two images I have of him burned in my brain, and one's positive, one negative. The positive is the 100-yard interception return for a touchdown against Notre Dame in the bowl game. The negative is Brock Bowers putting him on a poster in week three, and I'll <laughs> never forget the image. And I know Brock Bowers does that to a lot of people, but it's just one of those images I cannot unsee, right? So anytime you're replacing a pair of NFL corners and Cam Smith, Darius Rush, there's going to be questions. And so I, I think secondary is still going to be the part of this defense, John, to hang their hat on. But 
I'm a little nervous about the Gamecocks secondary going into this one. You know, it's it's one of those things where South Carolina secondary has been the strength of their football team. But we knew coming in, right, anytime you have that many moving pieces, like I mentioned, and if they don't have Nick Enwari this weekend, I mean, they're facing some high-flying offenses, right? I mean, I know Georgia, Carson Beck, his first SEC game, right, it's going to be the pressure will be on. But Georgia's got some of the best wide receivers in the SEC. I mean, they got Brock Bowers, Oscar Delt. They got a fantastic tight end room. South Carolina's facing some high-powered passing offenses. And I thought they fared – decently uh, against UNC. I mean, again, I, I think you blame a lot of that on a pass rush. If you give a guy like Drake May four or five seconds to throw, really, if you give right. any power five quarterback that long and he's got even halfway decent weapons, they're going to get open, right? You can only cover for so long. So th there are – I still feel good about the secondary, but I'm a little nervous going into this weekend, especially if Nick Emanwari can't play because and, – and David Spalding being out as well. They're nickel. I think there's some guys, there's some youngsters that are going to have to step up. They have had Jalon Kilgore, a true freshman, play at the safety spot who has been really, really good thus far. But, uh, you know, the competition starts to ramp up, man. And you got Georgia. You got a Mississippi State with Will Rogers. You got Joe Milton in Tennessee, right? So we're going to find out a lot about this Gamecock secondary over the next couple of weeks for sure. Good news is with Joe Milton, you really just have to um, just like send your entire front seven on a pass rush and stand at the other end zone. You can get interception. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. J Joe Milton is, uh, I don't know, he, the curious case of Joe Milton, right? I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And certainly this weekend, we will learn. We will learn a lot uh, about Joe Milton when he goes yes. down to the swamp after he made the comments of, you know, I don't lose in Florida. We'll, we'll see how that plays yeah. out. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I picked Georgia to win the SEC East. I picked Georgia, obviously, to beat Tennessee. But I am a believer in the Josh Heupel offensive system, and I, I think Tennessee is going to have a good offense as long as he's there. And I don't think Joe Milton – if anybody was expecting Milton to be Hendon Hooker, you were just setting very right. unfair expectations because Hendon Hooker was – he was arguably better than Peyton Manning. You know what I mean? So, like, to ask anybody to come in and, and be as good as he was. But, uh, you know, for Milton, it's all about just throwing the change up, man. If he can do that, he's a really good player, but he just hasn't shown. And at some point, right, when you've been in, in college as long as he's been, at some point you just kind of are what you are. So, we'll see. Yeah, you know, some people are just saying that uh, Joe Milton is an older Jalen Milrow, and we've yet to see anything otherwise. <laughs> indeed. No, indeed. That – that Bama, that Bama Texas game was wild, man. And I, I wasn't on a side note, I wasn't a believer in Jalen Milrow going to that football game. And no. Proven right. So no, man. I called it like in March. I yeah. was like, there is no way Alabama has someone in that quarterback room to beat Texas. Well, I think it was, you know, we kind of knew when Nick Saban showed his desperation and went to the portal and added uh Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. Notre Dame's I mean, backup. I, yeah, I, I think that that kind of showed you, okay, they don't feel good about the guys they have in there, right? Or else they wouldn't do that. I just – I'm still so happy that <laughs> mainly – it's not even that Alabama lost. It's just that I called my shot six months ago and was 100% correct. Yeah. No, I mean, it's – it's you know, I, I picked Texas to win that game back over the summer as well. I actually picked Alabama to go nine and three. So – I caught a lot of hell for that. Yeah, I, I I caught a lot of hell for that. It it wasn't because I'm trying to, you know, throw shade on Bama. It's just, you know, how does a team improve that lost Bryce Young and Will Anderson and Jameer Gibbs? How do they improve, you know, when they don't have a, a proven commodity at quarterback? And, 
You know, you watch that Texas game too, man. And Texas was just as good, if not better, than them at every single position. I mean, every position on the field. So, um, you know, I know Georgia fans have got to love the side of it because the SEC is is really Georgia's for the taking. And John, I, I will say on a quick side note, you might kick me off the podcast. I picked Georgia to go undefeated in the regular season. I picked them to win the SEC. I got Ohio State winning it all, though. So one of the reasons is because it's just so damn hard. <laughs> to win two straight natties. it's because I because I've had Georgia the last two years, but I'm like, God, can I can I go for a third straight? Like college football is weird, man. It's it's you know it's weird. So, so if you've watched any Ohio State over the last two weeks, do you want to revise that pick because well, Kyle McCord is yeah not I, much not, better than Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I'm I'm not one to revise picks as we get in the season, but uh, admittedly, it has not. My confidence in that pick has not grown. I mean, granted, I've still got Georgia in the national title. So, hey, I mean, if they win, I was one game off, right? That's that's kind of yeah. the way I'll try to, I'll try to uh, justify that. <laughs> so, South Carolina, special yeah. teams. And I know this is probably not a question that you expected to get asked, but I like to show love to the special teams. They moved Kai Kroger to punter this year. That. I didn't watch a ton of South Carolina last year, but when I did watch it, he was one of their most efficient players. So that kind of confuses me. So are either of the other guys that have attempted kicks this season better or are you confused as well? Well, so Kai Kruger was the punter last year. Um, I thought you were going to say because he's a damn good quarterback because he's literally gone six for six for three touchdowns in his career. The so one could... touchdown I saw with my eyes South Carolina score last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's the only points they got in that Florida game, which God bless you for being at that game. I mean, my goodness. I, I just... I, and, you know, I said it in the first quarter. I was like, man, I feel bad for Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Yeah, because he was hitting guys in the hands, and they were just like, "Oh, here you go, Florida, get the interception." Yeah, so um, no, Kai Kroger was the punter last year, and I think he's a- a- absolutely one of the best in college ball. And side note, by the way, John, you mentioned that uh, don't expect to talk special teams. If you're ever talking to a South Carolina guy, not just you, anybody, and you're not talking about special teams or being ball, you're you're just you're almost. I would say you're not doing your due diligence because how ha- I mean. Special teams in Columbia is like offense and defense everywhere else. I mean, it's just as big a facet of the game as as everything else is. So at least most the game, of the time when I bring up special teams, people give me a crazy look because they don't yeah. even know the name of their kicker. But well, I, dude, I, 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 I did special SEC, teams is a huge factor in most games. Yeah, I, I did SEC team breakdowns over the summer and and had you know a representative from every SEC team and. You know, I went through offense, defense, and then got the special teams. And to your point, I, I saw people chuckle or kind of roll their eyes or, you know, maybe be caught off guard. I'm like, dude, we we talk about special teams here. Like, it, <laughs> South Carolina has won games because of this. I, but Georgia okay. loses the Peach Bowl if they make that special teams play. Yes. Like, yes. it's huge. Big deal. It's a big deal. So, um, no, Kai Kroger's back at the punter spot. Mitch Jeter is back at the kicker spot. Um, he actually just missed – his first ever career attempt. He went perfect 11 for 11 last year. Missed his first ever attempt last week against Furman, like a 52-yarder. It hit off the upright. So, I mean, the Gamecocks have, I would say, one of, if not the best kicker-punter duo in college football. I mean, they, they're they in good hands with, with Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo calling the shots. I mean, again, there's a reason that Beamer ball is so successful, and Beamer ball to the moon is a thing in Columbia, right? So, um you know, I I will say, John, the one thing that's been interesting thus far, 
we haven't, you know, South Carolina did have a an onside kick in that game against UNC to open up the second half. Unfortunately, they weren't able to capitalize on it. So we haven't really seen special teams take over a game yet, right, for South Carolina. We haven't seen it yet. And that was one of my big questions coming in was, you know, with, with you, you have to think coaching staffs are going to make this a point of emphasis to say we cannot let South Carolina beat us in this manner. Is South Carolina still able to win football games and win them in conventional ways, right? So, you know, I think for the Gamecocks, you look at this Saturday, if they're going to pull the upset or even keep it close, I, I think Beamer Ball is going to have to show itself. I think making a big play on a kickoff return, punt return, block kick, block punt, fake, whatever it might be. I, I, I will tell you this, John. I'll go ahead and guarantee it right now. I guarantee you you're going to see South Carolina run a fake of some sort, whether it's a field goal, it's a punt. Like, I, I just – I don't think this is a game. I think you have to empty the kitchen sink if you're South Carolina, if you're Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo. And i got to believe they'll have something dialed up for Georgia. So, um, it is Beamer ball to the moon. And, and again, Kai Kroger and Mitch Jeter are two of the best in college football. So – and you may not – this may not even be a train of thought on the South Carolina side of things. But is there a beef between Kirby Smart and Shane Beamer? Because it seems like there is by Kirby's behavior on the sideline. And Shane Beamer's made a couple of comments. And no one really knows the truth. So, it, like, do you guys see that? Or is that just something that we're looking too much into? I see it. I don't know any more than you do. I don't know anything in regards to specifics of a beef or a feud or what have you. But, I, you know, based off the way Kirby Smart has beat Shane Beamer like a rented mule the last two years, <laughs> and to your point, last year when Kirby's saying, first down, mother like, you know, yeah. it, it's it's you're like, those are not the antics of a man that has a lot of love and and – admiration for his counterpart like I'm sure off the field they are fine but I I don't think it doesn't appear to me that Kirby and Beamer are best buddies I don't know what happened when Shane worked for Kirby I don't know if there was some rift between them I and again we're kind of grasping at straws and guessing but we're using context clues right like we're yes we're guessing but we also have two eyes and a brain that tell us what we see and you know we're able to kind of understand and of course when it comes to like Shane Beamer I mean, he's a guy that wears his freaking heart in his sleeve and he he's as emotional as they come when it comes to pressers or in games or what have you and you know Kirby's an emotional guy too so you know when you're staring down the opposing sideline and you're saying first down mother and like yelling it kind of at them um I think there's reason to believe that there's a little bit of extra extra juice for Kirby in this game because of something that happened with with Shane Beamer. So we'll we'll see if that continues Saturday, but uh you know, that that would not surprise me if there's something more to it behind the scenes. Okay, I'm really just glad that it wasn't only our side that think there's something going on. I mean again, the way that Georgia has pummeled South Carolina I mean, dude, it was 48 to nothing, I believe, at one point last year. And then South Carolina got that garbage touchdown. I mean, it was – you had Georgia players. You had Stetson Bennett taking selfies with fans with 10 minutes left in the game. I mean, that is a different level of beatdown, right? So – At least at least they didn't order hot wings like they did in the national championship game. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, really. But you know what, man? You get beat 65 to F and 7. You, d- you deserve it. You deserve all that and more. So I, I don't even blame Georgia. 
So last question before I ask you to pick a couple of games for us. What do you think South Carolina's record is at the end of the season? John, I went seven and five back in July, and I'm going to stick with that. Um, I, I think South Carolina can still get there. Now, Mississippi State's the big one next weekend at Williams-Brice Stadium. That game is a night game, which I think is a huge swing in the favor of South Carolina. Um, I had the Gamecocks beating North Carolina, then losing to Mississippi State in an upset, actually. Uh, so if South Carolina is able to flip those for me and switch and get that state game, I think they're still on pace for seven and five. So I'm going to stick with that summer prediction. I, I just, you know, you beat Furman, obviously, if you can beat Mississippi State and you can take down Florida, which that game's at home coming off a bye. I called that the most important game of the season simply because I see it being there right in the middle, that being the game that, you know, kind of sparks you on that second half run, right? You got at Mizzou, at Texas A&M. Then you get in that four-game stretch of Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Clemson. I mean, I expect, John, I expect South Carolina to do the same song and dance under Shane Beamer they've done every year, which is I think that at some point they're going to have a moment, they catch fire, and they at least you know they start showing improvement, if you will, and uh, you're going to see them play their best football in the season. So I'm going to stick with seven and five right now. I think six and six is very much in the cards for this football team, but I'll I'll remain at the seven and five. They lose to Mississippi State if we're talking two weeks later, and they've lost to Mississippi State. I'm going to have a vastly different answer for you because unfortunately, I think if they lose that one, John, I think some results like four and eight or five and seven come into play, and I, I don't want to, you know, I hate to even bring that up if you will, but. Those will be kind of the new realities, if you will. So I'm going to stick with seven and five, what I had back in July. All right. So we're going to ask you to pick some games. I will put out the spread and over-under, but that's more for context. We're not asking you to pick spreads and over-unders and all that kind of stuff. So first game, LSU is a 10-point favorite at Mississippi State with the over-under at 53 and a half. I'm taking LSU straight up in the game. I actually do, believe it or not, it's one of my best bets of the weekend. I've got Mississippi State covering the 10. I think this is a really close back-and-forth, hard-fought game. I think weird things, John, are going to happen in Starkville this year with the spirit of the Pirate living on. But LSU is walking a tightrope. They cannot afford another slip-up, and I don't think they allow it here. I think they, uh, they've corrected some things since week one and also, too, you just give credit to Florida State. They're a damn good football team. So I yes. think it'll be a close back and forth ball game, but I think LSU by a touchdown. All right. Next one's going to sound a little weird, but we do live in Savannah. So this one is Georgia Southern at Wisconsin. And <laughs> Georgia Southern did go up to Big Ten country and beat a team with a giant block red letter on their helmet last year. So just throwing that out there. Uh, Wisconsin is 19 point favorites, 19 and a half over under 63. I'm going to go with Wisconsin to win this football game, but Gata, man, get after that ass. Eagles, Georgia Southern would love to see the upset. I I've hung out in Statesboro a couple of times and, and love it down there. Great place. Great people. They love their football, smart football fans, right? Very passionate. So, um, yeah, I, I'd love to see Georgia Southern pull that upset, but I am going to go Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's one of the best teams in the Big Ten, and I, I, I think they will show that this weekend. I will say some of the most fun I had last year watching a football game is I was hanging out with some of my friends that are Southern alums for that Nebraska game. We had just gotten home 
from we just got into their house in Athens from the Georgia game, turned it on, and that was just wild. <laughs> I love it. So next one, Tennessee, six and a half point favorite at Florida, over under 57 and a half. John, this is a big one for Billy Napier, man. It's a big one. Um, if Florida is going to, you know, I think overachieve, which would be winning seven or eight games, God forbid, and if they're going to turn the tide on their season, reset expectations, you know, this one could go a long, long way in doing so, and it will go a long way, right? I think we'll be talking about Billy Napier in Florida in a much different manner. All we've heard all week long is about the two wins in the last 51, you know, 51 years. Tennessee hasn't won there since 2003, the, you know, the, the aura of the swamp. And it'll be packed out. It'll be raucous. It'll be a crazy environment. Huge game for Joe Milton. What are you going to get? I got Tennessee covering. I got Tennessee winning. I, I think that narrative is just – I think it's played out. I think Tennessee is so much better than Florida is. And, you know, is Joe Milton going to be perfect? I doubt it. But, you know, that Tennessee – one of the reasons I'm high on Tennessee, that defensive front, like I mentioned, 11 sacks in their first two games, they have been flying. And I know they've played Virginia and Austin P. Don't get me wrong. But they've been flying all over the place. I think Tennessee made some major strides on the defensive side. I love the running back room. I still love the weapons they have on the offensive side. I love Josh Heupel's scheme. And I think Tennessee sort of flexes their muscles. And I think they finally get that, you know, that 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 gator-sized monkey off their back in the swamp. And I think they take down Florida. All right. Next one. Kansas State, five-point favorites going to Mizzou over under 47 and a half. You know, this is a tough one because I love Mizzou's defense, right? I mean, they returned so much production from a season ago. Um, dude, I just can't trust Eli Drinkwitz at this point. like Or Brady Cook. Or Brady Cook, but like Eli Drinkwitz is the Jeff Fisher of college football. He's just guaranteed to go 500. So like... And get Mizzou, an extension. And right. And if Mizzou beats Kansas State, I mean, I think they're on a path to win eight, maybe even nine games this year. Like, but that's not who Mizzou is. No, not and anymore. Yeah, K-State's a high-quality football team. Uh, they'll come in expecting to win. This has been a really fun series the last couple of years. Dude, I, I just, you know, Mizzou almost falls to Middle Tennessee State last week. I, I just, I can't trust Drinkwitz. I can't trust Mizzou. I'm going to go K-State in this one. Last game, and you know we got to ask. South Carolina's coming to Athens. Georgia's 27.5-point favorite. Over-under is 55. Oh, the big one, John. And I'll tell you this. I, I've been going back and forth on this score all week long because I'm someone, and, and many Gamecock fans will tell you painfully so, right? I, I'm somebody I see things objectively. I don't see anything through any sort of – Garnet lenses or garnet goggles, I just call it as I see it. But, you know, there is that fandom side of me that all week long I've been trying to talk myself into reasons why South Carolina, you know, will number one, cover the spread, right? But number two, make this a close competitive ball game into the second half and, and maybe not even win, but just, just keep it respectable, right? And then I go back to the image, John, that's burnt in my mind of that offensive line against UNC. And, and I just cannot get around that. I don't see – I think Spencer Rattler will be fine. I think it's going to take a masterful offensive game plan from Dabble Loggins. South Carolina, I don't see how they're able 
to get any sort of run push at all. So I think they're going to have to get the football out in the perimeters, get the football in space, get it to their playmakers, let them try to win some one-on-one matchups. Much, much easier said than done, obviously. And if South Carolina's getting behind the chains or they're getting in third and long, they stand no chance. And my fear offensively, John, is that, again, that's going to happen. Spencer Rattler's going to feel the need to, okay, I got to go out and win this ball game myself. I got to put the team on my back. And he's had success doing that the first two weeks. But the problem is this isn't North Carolina secondary. This isn't Furman secondary. This is the Georgia secondary. And I know Javon Bullard is not going to play, I believe, for UGA. That's a big loss for you guys. But still, Georgia is loaded across the board at every position at defensive back. So that concerns me offensively, defensively. I'm really worried about South Carolina's ability to stop the run. I know Georgia hasn't ran it great, but from what I've what I've been told, they've been very vanilla offensively. Mike Bobo has not showed a lot at all in the first two weeks, and Georgia has just kind of ho-hum whatever blasted UT Martin and Ball State. Uh, can they get Carson Beck uncomfortable, right? That's the big question. Can they make him uncomfortable, make him put him in some situations that he is not used to or has not faced yet, right? I mean, He's been solid for the first two weeks, but this is a different animal, right? Starting at QB1 in an SEC game. Simply put, though, John, I just – I don't see South Carolina having much success at all on the lines of scrimmage. I think it's going to be a struggle all day long. And I I don't think Georgia is going to jump out to some 24-0 lead in the first quarter or anything because they they battled some slow starts. But I think it is going to be a a slow and grueling death for South Carolina. And I said this over the summer, John, and I'm sticking by it. To me, it's not a question of is South Carolina going to win the football game. It's a question of how many times are they going to cross the 50. And my prediction is not many. I got Georgia 41 to 12. I, I don't think it's a close game. I think Georgia pulls away late. Um, I've got South Carolina – a touchdown with a failed two-point conversion and then two field goals. I think South Carolina might move it between the 20s a little bit. I I wouldn't be surprised if with Xavier Leggett, some of the weapons, the way Spencer Rattler's locked in, you know, they bust a couple of big plays. But they just don't have the big uglies up front when they get in the red zone to capitalize on. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised they got four field goals, right? Because when that field shrinks and you've got to run the football, are you able to – I just don't think South Carolina is. I don't trust the O-line. I don't trust the run defense. And especially if Nick Emanuori doesn't go, I'm worried about South Carolina defensively against those receivers, against Brock Bowers. And until I see differently, John, honestly, this game has gotten so out of hand the last couple of years. I mean, it's it's South Carolina is 1-7 in the last eight contests, right? That one win being the 2019 double overtime crazy upset in Athens. But those seven losses were all by double digits, and many of them were by 20-plus points. So until I see otherwise, until I see South Carolina do it on the field, I, I just think that these two programs are are light years away when it comes to talent in the trenches. And in a game like this, that's what matters most. In that 2019 game, I will actually take the uh, – I will take the blame for Georgia losing that. That is the only Georgia game I have ever been to – um, without my wife in the stadium at the same time. Even before we knew each other, we went to all the same games and sat in different sections. And that is the only game I have been to without her in the state. So that's my bad, guys. You know, 100% take credit for that. I'm not a little hey, superstitious. I'm superstitious. It is what it is. And, John, since you bring up that 2019 game, I'll just say if South Carolina is going to make this a game where we look up in the fourth quarter and it's a one-score game – 
I think it will have to be similar to that type of game where it's a muck it up, turnovers, you know, 20 to 17. I've seen a lot of Gamecock fans predicting South Carolina to go score 24, 28 points. And I, I just – I don't know where that's coming from, John. Like, did Georgia stop playing defense? Do they no longer have one of the best D-lines in the country? Do they no longer have the best linebacker due in the country? Do they no longer have, you know, some of the best DBs in college football? I mean, I just – I don't see it, man. And, and I mean, I, it's not because Spencer Rattler is not that type of player and he isn't capable. You know what? If Spencer Rattler is able to go out there and, and throw for 300-plus and a couple of touchdowns like I was talking about earlier – the narrative around him and the way he's talked about should be changed completely, whether that's in a winning or losing effort. But I, I just I just do not see South Carolina offensively being able to have zero running game and survive this ballgame. I, I just I, I just don't see it. So I'd love to be proven wrong, obviously. It's it's I think this game is important for South Carolina. I think it's important for Shane Beamer because it's not a good enough excuse, John, to say, well, you know, Georgia's just good, so that's why they're beating. Georgia's going to be good for a long time under Kirby Smart. Teams like Mizzou can play them close, almost beat them last year. Teams like Kentucky can play them close. I mean, at some point, you got to just cut the excuses and go out there and punch somebody in the mouth and at least make this a freaking ball game and make it respectable. Last year was embarrassing. 2021, hey, we'll give Beamer a pass, second or third career game, whatever. But last year was an embarrassing embarrassment on your home field I know most Gamecock fans would like to believe Gamecock fans as a whole I should say would like to believe that this team and program is capable of more than that but until I see otherwise I, I just really do think it's a talent issue for South Carolina and I I, I fear what's going to happen to that offensive line I, I really do and I, I just don't know how South Carolina can overcome that and and the Missouri thing, I mean, if they want to take a page out of Missouri's book, um, step one, attempt to tear Jalen Carter's ACL in the first drive of the game. <laughs> um, the thing is, he's gone now, so I don't know how that would work. I'm flying up to Philly at 1 o'clock on Saturday, I guess. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's. I, I know Georgia lost Jalen – Jalen Carter, obviously, but you know they're t today's bench players or tomorrow's draft picks for the University of Georgia. So you you, you got to tip your cap and respect what Kirby's built. And you know, again, man, I'm I'm hoping for a a a fun competitive ball game on Saturday because you know I I caught some heat from Gamecock fans about this take earlier in the week. But as I told you, John, I I you know my my, my only commitment is to the truth and and saying what I believe, and that's that. But I grew up with thinking and feeling like South Carolina, Georgia was a, a rivalry of sorts, right? Like I grew I grew up in the CSRA in North Augusta, Aiken, Augusta area, if you will, right on the border. And those games were always close and competitive and, and, and hard nose. And, you know, Georgia hated playing South Carolina. And it was, you know, it was a lot of really tight back and forth ball games. And we've gotten away from that. Like, I, I just don't feel like Carolina Georgia is much of a rivalry, if, if at all, anymore. I even went as far as to say that Georgia fans, they view South Carolina as the fly in their soup and nothing more. I mean, and, and when you look at the results on the field, how can you argue it? So South Carolina has got to get back to, you know, earning Georgia's respect more than anything. Because, I mean, you beat the team 48-7, to there's no – you don't deserve any respect. I, I'd like to see South Carolina go out there and, and earn some respect on Saturday, but – you know, it's easier said than done against the beast that Kirby Smart has built.
Yeah, and I think a lot of George fans also want it to feel like a rivalry again. I, I know at least I do, because growing up, South Carolina was one of the teams that I hated the most, and then living in Columbia just made that worse. So <laughs> I I want a reason to be – to hate this team. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's you know, Steve Spurrier used to say, like, we – you know, People hate us because we beat them, right? People, people don't, people don't hate people that they, uh, they beat all the time. Like we don't hate Vanderbilt, you know what I mean? Like so, it's uh, you, you want to be hated if you are. That's a good sign. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to me tonight. I know it is getting late for both of us here, so I will let you go ahead and get out of here. And uh, once again, thank you for coming on, John. You're the man. I appreciate it, man. Again, always a pleasure to chat with you, and looking forward to a great game on Saturday. All right, so we want to thank Chris for coming on again and talking to, I guess it was just me yesterday. Mike was dealing with some family stuff, but always great to have him on as usual. And, um, you know, as he talked about in the interview, he is doing a live call-in show. So if you really just feel the need to piss some South Carolina fans off after the game, go to his social medias, call him up. I may... Um, I may call in, but there's part of me that doesn't want to because I know some pissed off South Carolina fans could potentially um, give us some give us some poor reviews on the podcast. So, you know, if I do call in, if you guys want to counteract those reviews, rate and review the show five stars and you'll get a sticker. Um, Yeah. No, that might be fun, though. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's good publicity, right? Yeah, it, he does a live call-in show immediately after the game. Um, so I'm sure if you go to his socials, you'll find that. I have seen clips from them, but I have not seen the show itself. So maybe know, next week I'll look into it. Because I know some people, they were pretty heated after the North Carolina game for them. So can't imagine what this is going to sound like if it's going to be, you know, as, as, uh, as bad as we I think we both kind of think it's going to be for for the uh, the Cox there. Yeah, uh, I you know we'll get to it. We'll get to it at the end. I'm not even. I'm not even going to start to spoil what we're talking about towards the end of the show. Um, first game we've got on deck today: LSU minus ten at Mississippi State. Over under is fifty three and a half. So LSU has had a wild season so far. I mean, obviously a blowout loss uh, to Florida State in Orlando, and then come back in week two to beat Grambling. I know it's Grambling, but they beat Grambling 72 to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of wild wildness within the game last week by itself. First quarter, LSU up 14-10, and then Grambling didn't score again. Uh, Bus and us came out in the second half, obviously. Um, went four for six for 48 yards. Jaden Daniels had a 75% completion percentage in the first half, 269 yards. Nice. nice. For five touchdowns. Um, on the other side of this matchup, you got Mississippi State, who needed overtime to beat Arizona last week. And they needed that overtime period while still getting ter- five turnovers off of Arizona. Which that's just insane. How do you get five turnovers and still need overtime? I mean, people are saying that the uh, the Pac-12 is the best conference out there, and I mean, it's hard to 
hard to argue two weeks in. You know, two weeks in, they've beat they've beat some juggernauts. I mean, USC, Florida, beat, uh, <laughs> Utah beat Florida. You know, potentially five and seven team. Uh, USC beat the shit out of San Diego State. You know, another another national powerhouse there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the most impressive, in my opinion, win the Pac-12 has this year is Oregon over Texas Tech last week, and they needed a last-minute pick six to do so. Mm-hmm. And so, that actually should not have been that close, but yeah, we, we kind of talked about that before. Yeah. Uh, personally, for this game, I like LSU to win, but if I have to, to pick the spread, and I'm, I really do not like the spread on this game. Mm-hmm. It may have come down since we did these notes to, um, I believe, last line I saw as I was scrolling through today was nine and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't like picking the spread at all on this game. It is nine and a half now. Um, if I'm forced to pick the spread, I'm going to take Mississippi State, but if I don't have to, I think LSU just money line is is the move. Okay. Yeah, I I I've been going back and forth on that quite a bit. Um it it's tough. Like originally I had uh, Mississippi State for that, but after you're kind of talking about LSU and just the again, you talked about it being Grambling State and all that, but uh, looking a little bit more competent on offense again, you know, it's probably an easier game than what it would be for uh, just practice for them. But uh, I keep, I really keep going back and forth. I'm, it's in, it's in Stark Vegas, but I'm gonna go with LSU minus that nine and a half. I changed it in the uh, the doc here, so Ooh, do that. You are taking the spread there. Yeah, I'm taking LSU win by double digits. You know, don't feel confident in that. I would not bet that either, but just I'm I'm not I don't know. I'm not I'm not super confident in in uh, Mississippi State, especially after that showing they had against Arizona. So I don't know. It don't feel good about that either way. I would hope that none of you actually bet on this game because I I don't have a good feel for it. But if I had to had to pick, which I kind of do, because that's why we're doing this, LSU. Yeah, I I also like if this wasn't one. If this was not one of the biggest SEC matchups of the weekend, I would not publicly throw a pick out there because I just – I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State, to me, has not uh, has not played their best football. Mm-hmm. Neither has LSU, but I feel like – and this is entirely on field. If you put what LSU did in week one – against what Mississippi State is capable of, Mississippi State wins this game. Mm-hmm. But if you put what LSU is capable of against what Mississippi State is capable of, I think it's a 35-point win. It, I mean, it, I think if we would have picked this, you know, three weeks ago, you know, even before uh, LSU played Florida State, yeah, I think we'd both feel way more confident in a nine-and-a-half-point spread there, but – just you know that Florida State second half really really sticks with you and that doesn't make it uh too confident. But then again, even last year going back, I mean the team LSU got a lot better as the season went on outside of the uh, the Tennessee game. So it, you know it's 
it's tough. So, uh, so officially, are you are you taking Michigan? Uh, not Michigan State, Mississippi State. Uh, if uh, I have to take the spread, mm-hmm. which I mean, I do. I mean, that's kind of the point of all this. Mm-hmm. I know this is terrible, uh, terrible dead noise on the audio. I just, I'm, I can't convince myself either way. But I think we both urge you to stay away from this game at all costs. Because if you put your money on this, you're sick. You're sicko. If you put your money on this, you have more money than sense. And we would love for you to sponsor our show. Mm hmm. But yeah, click that bet us link too. That would help as well. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Mississippi state covers a nine and a half. Okay. I don't like it. I don't like it whatsoever. And I am urging mm-hmm. you, if you are listening to this to not put money on this game mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe the money line, I would feel good about the money line taking LSU. Mm-hmm. That can't even be that great if it's almost a 10-point spread, though. Um, According to BetUS, it is a minus 350 money line. So maybe, like, put it in a parlay. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you've got some others that you feel really confident about and this is really the only questionable leg. I I just I'm, – I'm staying far away with this from – or I'm staying far away from this with my wallet – but I, I think that Mississippi State secondary is good enough to force turnovers to keep this within ten points. I wonder. I don't know how much talk there's been. Is is Mike right? Are they you know throwing that out there? Obviously, uh, uh, Will Rogers is you know on the you know on the cusp of breaking all these different records and stuff like SEC records and all that, but. And I think I think SDS talked about it as well. So I mean, I'm just kind of throwing it out there, um, too. But is Mike Wright the better fit for Mississippi State since they're not doing the air raid anymore? I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily against it. I mean, so in two games this season, Mike Wright has six carries for 92 yards. Brings a whole different dynamic to that offense, especially if they uh they're struggling running the ball with just uh you know traditionally. So, so here's the problem yeah. is that in their current offensive scheme, Mike Wright has zero attempts hmm. and zero yards passing. Hmm. So Yeah, probably throwing him out there against LSU is probably not the best idea, even if they have a you know a pretty mid to below average uh uh secondary by their especially by their standards considering what they brought in the offseason and all that so you know I don't as, know yeah stay away as a fan of chaos I would love if Mississippi State gave us a wishbone offense with two quarterbacks. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> you have Will Rogers who is if he has a good season on the cusp of beating Aaron Murray's all-time touchdown record. And you have Mike Wright, who is, I I don't even know if it's much of an argument, one of the most electric quarterbacks or athletes at quarterback in the SEC this year. Mm-hmm. Give us a wishbone quarterback offense. 
make make Miss State uh, really like worthwhile watching. Honestly, I mean they're not you know, like we said they're not doing the air raid anymore. Trying to go more ground and pound and all that. Just be different. Be different. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know how high I was on Mich- uh, Mississippi State last year. Mm-hmm. I just I want them to be as fun to watch this year as they like. Give me. Give me egg bowl level excitement 12 Chaos. weeks a year. Yes, please. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. It's not and asking it, too much. Uh, it's asking a lot, but if you give me a wishbone offense with Will Rogers and Mike Wright back there. But that is, yeah. I mean, that is that Mississippi, if they did that, Mississippi State would have the highest rating for a college football program in the country. Be at the top of our power, our power ratings of watchability. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, so to throw back a little bit last year, one of the highest uh, watchability games from the 2022 season, a little bit different this year, but we have just down the road from us, the Georgia Southern Eagles going up to Camp Randall to play the Wisconsin Badgers and the Dairy Raid offense. Wisconsin is, as of right this second, 20-point favorites over under is set at 64. Ooh, 20. Okay. The noted Big Ten murderers, Georgia Southern Eagles, are headed to Camp Randall this weekend to see if they can take down another red Big Ten program whose logo is a boring block letter. That's obviously the Wisconsin Badgers. So much creativity in the Midwest. We all know about it. Um, I will say last week, Tanner Mordecai had nowhere to go with the ball against Washington State, only going 25 of 40. That sounds like a lot. With 278 yards, one touchdown, for, a, for an air raid offense, 25 of 40 and 278. Not great? No. Not not really good. Um. The good news is, at least for Georgia Southern, the run game also had nowhere to go. They didn't they didn't really do so hot, even though they have two phenomenal running backs up there in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually outgained Washington State in a losing effort and had three turnovers in that game, which was kind of the deciding factor Wisconsin-wise. Um, Georgia Southern – on the other hand, is scoring a ton of points this season with a shutout against the Citadel, getting 34 points last week against Georgia's opponent next weekend. That is the uh, UAB Blazers won a 49-35 game. Um, personally, I think there's going to be a ton of points scored in this game, but mm-hmm. I do think Wisconsin wins this game outright. With, when you're giving me 20 points, I'm taking Georgia Southern eight days out of the week. Um, but I think that over-under is, is is kind of right where it's going to be for me to take that. I mean, is, is 34-31 out of the question? No, you know, not at all. Eight, not and at that, all. <laughs> you know, even 31-28, something like that. I think it's too close to call. I'm not going to take the over-under. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin wins, Georgia Southern covers. That's where I'm at. I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. I was, I mean, you said pretty much everything that I was going to say there. Um, 
you know, as we talked about in the offseason and maybe even a few other times, um, especially like after, you know, that game happened when uh, Georgia Southern upset Nebraska and really put the nail in uh, Scott Frost's coffin. Because, again, we, and like I said, like I said before, we talked about that you know, quite a bit with the uh, Nebraska reporter, how, how fun that was to, to be, be in the area and be around Georgia Southern uh, alumni and fans and all that after that huge win. I mean, you know, winning in Nebraska was huge just as a traditional program, Wisconsin, again, not quite at the historical level that Nebraska is by any means, but, you know, a solid, uh, you know, probably tier two big 10 team uh, just uh, at least in the 21st century. Uh, But Georgia Southern can definitely put some points up, on on Wisconsin and you're not super confident in no the dairy raid dairy raid quite yet let's kind of say that five times fast but I'm with you there <laughs> uh, Georgia Southern uh they do cover but I, I do see uh Wisconsin winning uh unfortunately because I would love to see back-to-back 2-0 in the Big Ten in in back-to-back years or you know 2-0 in the last two years I should say um is if if that happened, people would be asking, is the Sun Belt better than that division of the Big Ten? I mean, shoot. Right now, yeah, if that ends up happening, definitely. There especially some... yeah. if we have UNC blow out Minnesota when App State was close last week. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is Minnesota going to Chapel Hill? Yes. Oh, okay. That's gonna be a bloodbath. All right. I should put that on there, but we have a yes. lot on there already. Um. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not 100 up to speed on Big Ten divisions. Is that the West? Uh, that Wisconsin's in. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, they got. I'm not gonna. Well, you know what? Hell, I'll probably just end up rattling it off real quick, just off the top of my head, because they should have seven in there, right? Um, Wisconsin, Nebraska, uh, Illinois, Northwestern, <laughs> Iowa, Iowa. Uh, did I say Minnesota? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Minnesota and uh, uh, uh I don't, I don't know. We, we came close. It's it's not. It's a bunch of teams that you're really not going to watch. <laughs> all right. All, so. All right, I'm I'm gonna say this out loud Purdue, publicly last one. for the internet. If Georgia Southern covers and UNC beats Minnesota this weekend, the Sun Belt is officially better than the Big Ten West. The Big Ten, you know, they you know in the offseason they talked about you know expanding south. I don't think for I mean. Some people said Florida State, others didn't. Some throughout their uh, throughout Georgia Tech, but if they're going to come in, into the uh, the Peach State, maybe they should look at Georgia Southern. Just saying, Georgia Southern is a more fun team. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. City of Statesboro also has more STDs than probably all the Big Ten West schools combined. Um, but you know, yeah. Yeah, probably. Maybe they need to spread the love up there, figuratively, figuratively and literally. So many different meanings to that. I love it. I told you guys I was going to be on one tonight. Um, next game we're talking about is I think this is actually one of the more difficult games of the weekend to yeah. uh, to really pick. 
surprisingly so from, you know, if we would ask you guys a month ago, this would be an obvious pick. But today we're talking Tennessee, who is six and a half point favorites at Florida over under 57 and a half. Tennessee is searching for their first win in Gainesville since September 20th, 2003. They are favored to win this game, but that line has had to have go down significantly since the beginning of this season, considering mm-hmm. that they had a rock fight against Austin P last weekend, pun intended. You there, Mike? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Okay. Sorry. No, you were just you were just extremely still. I thought I thought we had an <laughs> internet issue. <laughs> I, I I don't know what it is. I was trying to click on something. I don't know. So much focus. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Florida bounced back in a big way last week. It is it was McNeese, but they did win that game 49 to 7. Graham Mertz played okay last week, but it was the run game that really was the deciding factor. 327 yards rushing. And Tennessee had players volunteering to not score points early in this game, Um, especially Joe Milton. I believe he was under 50% passing going into halftime, which was um, very disappointing considering that he is my college fantasy quarterback and our nothing finer league. But the good news for Tennessee fans is they were leading that game 10 to six at halftime. A real exciting game there. But I think Florida is able to keep this game close because of their defense. Yes. The beginning of the Utah game looked ugly, but if you look back at it, The second half was very close as far as defense on defense. I do think that Tennessee is able to – I really think Tennessee's defense is able to actually stand up against Florida's running game. They haven't allowed a lot of rushing yards yet this season. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, they essentially have played two FCS schools with the state of Virginia this year, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say that. I mean – they did lose to James Madison. I mean, it is an FBS program now, but it's like their second and third year or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, not 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 a good look for Virginia. Um, this this week may be the hardest games to call of, of the season so far. I know we're only three weeks mm-hmm. in, but Tennessee looked good and then bad, and then Florida looked bad and then good. And the question is, how much does the environment of the swamp play into this game? So a good question is going to be, what does the weather look like in Gainesville? Because if it's going to rain, that, as we know, is a big, big deal for uh, uh, right. Michael's offense. Um, you know, it will cause, you know, interceptions before – the rain starts. Mm-hmm. Um, it will cause oh. a to- it will cause seven sacks. It will cause mm-hmm. the ref not to call a safety in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, weather has a huge factor on on Josh Heifel's offense. It pre affects them. Like they, you know how you can like smell it 
the smell of the rain coming and stuff like that, especially here. It definitely does that for the hypo offense and really just it sets them off. So they better hope that, you know, that Florida, you know, late summer, early fall, you know, uh, pop up shower stuff that always ends up happening just stays away because if so, yeah, they're they're toast. Well, I will say I was checking the weather as we were talking. You bringing that up has convinced me Florida is going to cover this game and our power just flickered. So entirely expect this to, to, uh, to not work. Again. All right, guys. So we apologize for the cutting in and cutting out. We are uh, fighting the weather here. And if anyone knows how to physically fight mother nature, please let me know. I would love to do so. Um, she's about to catch these hands. Mother Nature can get all the smoke right now because I am I am tired of this, Grandpa. <laughs> well, it's too damn bad. <laughs> all right, back to Gainesville weather. It is supposed to thunderstorm all day on Saturday. Mm. With that being said, does Florida's defensive line have what it takes to stop? Tennessee's running game. I don't know, but yeah. the weather has me convinced mm-hmm. that Florida is going to cover that six and a half. I think it's a close game. Mm-hmm. I don't know who wins. Um, I think there's a good shot Florida can win. I mm-hmm. think there's an equally good shot that Tennessee can just blow the shit out of them. Yeah. Um, but I do think Florida covers that six and a half. I'm I'm right there with you. The uh, over under uh, actually went up. I think it went up a point to uh, to 58, or uh, went up a half a point since we uh, we put it together initially. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm right there with you. I especially with the weather and how we were trolling uh, Tennessee just before. I mean, I in this case is I you know I really am hoping for a giant meteor just to crash in Gainesville, so it's just over because I mean this game is probably going to suck to watch if. Uh, you know, if I even turn it on, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on uh, Florida uh, covering. I'm not sure if they'll they'll win, but you know, one of their streaks have to continue because they, you know, their you know their ridiculously long streak to Kentucky uh, ended in the last few years. So that's that's unfortunate for them. They lost to Vandy last year, which that probably ended a long streak as well. I don't know how long that was, but you know, it would be funny. If they did keep the streak against uh, Tennessee, but that would be hilarious. It would, yeah. The wouldn't it be funny? Just betting, trolling principle there would be huge. But again, I at the very at the very least, I'm with you. I'll take Florida to cover. Don't know if they'll win outright, but six and a half. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems it it seems like a a right number, but. Can Tennessee win by touchdown? Sure, absolutely. They can win by three touchdowns. But whether that Florida defense, yeah, I'm I'm going with Florida. Yeah, I don't I don't really know how you can uh, can decide this game. I just mm-hmm. I think it's too. I'm still very interested in what happens. Do not get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know. I don't – I Do will we... gladly tell you that I am clueless on this game, but I'm very interested in the outcome. 
do we know if Joe Milton can, we know he can't really throw accurately when it's the conditions are right. Can he throw when the ball is wet? Um, I mean, honestly, the wet ball would probably take some velocity off of it. So if his accuracy doesn't change, it's probably perfect. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, let's be real here. If, if his velocity was less and his accuracy was the same. He'd be a good quarterback. <laughs> he really I, would. I mean, he has a chance to beat uh, Hudson Mason, or was it Grayson Lambert that set the uh, completion percentage record? Against South Carolina. Against South Carolina. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's very interesting. I mean, like, could you just somehow take some of the strength out of his arm? They might have to – if if it ends up turning out really well for Tennessee in the future, they may have to like soak their game balls for like all week and then bring them with, with them, and that will, you know may mess up. Fill it with water. Yeah, <laughs> have it be a nerf. Ha- have them play with a nerf ball. Paint it, you know, paint it, you know, actual football color. Throw it in the pool. Make it like six pounds heavier. It will work. Just throw shot puts around the field. They got to do something. Touch is not in. Joe Milton's vocabulary. Uh, nope. No, it is not. So, next game. I think, personally, little, uh little sneak peek here. I think this is one of the best bets of the week. And we're talking Kansas State, five-point favorites at Mizzou, who over under 47.5. Mizzou barely beat Middle Tennessee last week, only a four-point victory. Mizzou has finally decided that they should use their five-star wide receiver, Luke Burden, to most of his capabilities. Um, He had 117 yards last week. Mizzou's problem is defense. They gave up 214 yards through the air. That is absolutely awful considering that Alabama – who we saw against Texas last week, doesn't have a great secondary, gave up only 133 yards mm-hmm. to Middle Tennessee. I should put that in there. Um, Kansas State, on the other hand, averaging 305 passing yards per game in the first two weeks. They're also averaging 187.5 rushing yards per game. Um, I think this is an obvious Kansas State minus five um you know it i I just checked it um that it actually went down a little bit now it's kansas state minus four four point favorite hammer yeah i'm i'm with you there go ahead and throw this in my bets best bets segment that we're doing in a minute kansas state if it's four if it's five does not matter i also don't think missouri has the defense to keep this within the under, go ahead mm-hmm. and give me the over. I oh. think there is just a drastic disparity between what Kansas State's offense is capable of doing and what Missouri's defense is capable of doing. Uh, Luther Burden has shown uh, signs of life. Um, it's it's definitely he's definitely been the uh, focal point of their offense the first couple of weeks. And I mean, really, I mean, it's all they really have. I mean, Brady Cook is is whatever i mean he's probably the more uh better fit for that offense at least and that's not necessarily a great look but neither is their offense 
yeah, no, it definitely not. No, nobody. They don't. They definitely don't fit in the the Big Twelve with their offense. Uh, they honestly probably definitely fit in the Big Ten West, but you know that should have happened before, but it didn't. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Kansas State minus four. I feel good about that, even though it's in Como. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure about the over under. I'll probably stay away from that. But if you know. I'm not going to make an official bet, but I would probably lean to the uh, the over with you as well. Just because Missouri's defense played well at times last year. And you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not super confident in, in them at all. I know some some people were picking them to win eight, nine games, others picking them to be last in the east or second to last in the east, but um yeah, I'll just I think if Mizzou can pull out this win. They win eight games this year. They they are just again people forget Kansas State. They are the Big Twelve champs, not not TCU, right? Not the team that went to the playoff. They got blown out and then lost to Colorado game one of the year. You know it's it is Kansas State. It's the it's the little the guys from the little apple the the Wildcats. They got their head in the game, and they beat TCU last year. Not not looking too bad this year either, but yeah, uh, yeah, Kansas State. For sure. Yeah. No, I, you know. Ooh, it was last year. It can't, it was 40 to 12 Kansas state. If, uh, if, if y'all remember. And one of these teams got better. The other did not. Yeah. Um, and the team that got better was perfect. Mm-hmm. I will say the only way Missouri can play a team close that is significantly more talented than them is to attempt to tear a defensive lineman ACL uh, first drive of the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, heads up Kansas State, that might be coming. Um, yeah, yeah. Just going to throw that out there. And also, if Eli Drinkwitz has some Star Wars cosplay in the locker room, watch out. Um, but <laughs> other than that, Kansas State, I would take this as a minus 14 spread, if I'm being honest. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea why Missouri's getting any sort of love here. No, I mean it. It honestly, it's probably we that SEC patch on their jerseys. That honestly, that, that can be the only thing. Even though that you know that aura is kind of wearing off a tad bit just because of how this season started in the league. But that I, that could be the only thing, and they're at home. But again, I I would still hammer that Kansas State four or minus four. All right, guys. So the. Game that you guys are all here for, and as we said at the top, um, we do have an interview with Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show that is going in the audio version, but because of some scheduling conflicts, we had to record that yesterday, so it is not in the live stream version. But South Carolina is coming to Athens to play Georgia between the hedges. Georgia is a 27.5-point favorite over under, I'm double checking it right now to see if it has moved. Um, it has actually gone down. Over under is 54. Okay. Hmm. Um, it's kind of strange to me, but this game has not been historically close since 2016 or 2015, with the obvious exception of that 2019 game. The average score of this rivalry under Kirby, Kirby Smart is 37.1 to 13.85. Since Shane Beamer was hired at South Carolina, 
that gap widens to 44 to 10. This this is really on the edge of my comfort zone when talking about spreads on Georgia games, really any game in general. I think Shane Beamer did something to piss Kirby Smart off. And as you guys have heard in the interview by now, Chris Phillips also has no idea what it is, but South Carolina fans also acknowledge that there is some sort of rift between them. Um, And obviously Kirby's not a fan of Shane Beamer. Um, Which is odd because, I mean, it seems like Kirby has, you know, a lot of respect for former assistants. I mean, Shane was only there for a year or two, so it's not like a, you know, a super deep relationship. But even then, I mean, working one or two years with somebody on a, you know, at, at this level, you'd think there'd be a little bit more, you know, good vibes between the two. But ob- like you said, obviously something happened, whether it was at Georgia on his way out or something in a in a game uh, between the two, between uh, Georgia and South Carolina. It was something. Hear me out. Hear me out. This is either complete BS or I'm right. Would you like to know when Shane Beamer left Athens? Was it after the 2016 season? After the Rose Bowl. Against oh, the team he went to coach for. Hmm. So, is there was there some sort of on-field conversation after that game? Like he left him high, like he knew he was going to Oklahoma. Like like Lincoln Riley did what he does with players in the portal and tampers with them and says, hey, Shane, I'll give you a raise to come be my associate head coach. Hey, Shane, do you want to live in Norman, Oklahoma instead of just, Athens? Just yeah. throwing it out there. I mean, it, 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 it is strange that he took mm-hmm. the Oklahoma job within – Weeks of Georgia playing Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. Um, if you have the opportunity and more time than we do, go back and look at that post game on the field conversation and tell us if you see that. Um, because I'm very interested now. Shane was a, a tight end coach at Georgia, right? Yes. And then he was the associate head coach and tight ends coach at Oklahoma. Okay, so being the associate head coach, he definitely got more money just with the extra title too. So I, I don't know. I mean, it yeah, it is it is unique timing given Lincoln Riley's uh, track record with with tampering. So I, you point. know, if I was Kirby, I would also be pissed, and I would also try to run this score all the way mm-hmm. up. I mean, Kirby's still mad about the Vandy game being canceled in twenty twenty. So he holds grudges. We know that. Yes. Um, I do think Kirby wants to put up a ton of points. I also think he wants to allow zero points. I know that is not a hot take, um, <laughs> considering what Georgia's done over the last two seasons. But I think it. I think it holds an extra close place in his heart when it comes to Shane Beamer for whatever reason. Um, we may have just dug some dirt up on that, but we really have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Georgia covers. I okay. do. Um, Mike, you haven't heard the interview with uh, Chris Phillips yet. 
He called mm-hmm. 41 to 12. So that would be just not covering. That's a 53-point total. It Wait, doesn't what? hit the over, but it does cover the spread. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so- his exact prediction was they kicked two field goals, score a garbage time touchdown, go for a two-point conversion, and don't make it. Hmm. Honestly, he said that he thinks that South Carolina is rarely going to cross the 50. I mean, given that offensive line, absolutely. If they got, unless they got significantly better or just North Carolina's, <laughs> North Carolina's, uh, you know, front seven is just out of this world, you know, NFL caliber everywhere across the board, which it's not. Um, no, it is. Look back at that App State game last week, but. Yeah, I'm definitely. I hate. I hate to agree with you as much as I have as I have been, but I am taking Georgia as well to uh, to cover, especially what you said. What the uh, you know average score is between uh, you know since uh, Shane Beamer's taken over in uh, the other Columbia, but I, I feel comfortable doing the over on this um, as well over that 54. Even at the very least, if it is 54, it's a uh, you know it's a wash. Doesn't count against anything. It's a push. But yeah, Georgia minus twenty seven and a half, and uh, and over there is what I'm on board with. All right, you ready to do the? Uh, you ready to do our bandwagon picks? Yeah. All right. So this week, Washington actually has an interesting matchup. They are sixteen point favorites going to East Lansing to play <laughs> the now head coachless Michigan State Spartans. Um, Huck coming. It's a double entendre now. I think Penix does nasty things to the Spartans. I just even, nasty, even nastier than Mel, what Mel Tucker would do over the phone to that, that whole situation. We didn't address it uh, earlier in the week, but good lord, no, no, we did not. I don't. I I don't know. Um, he, I will say, he did admit to having a consensual, having consensual, uh, phone intercourse, if that's what you want to call it, phone sex with somebody, with a with a person that was a rape survivor, or someone that went and talked to specifically football teams and you know groups of young men at colleges <laughs> on you know protocols and and just you know keeping out of like those type of situations. And Mel Tucker's like, you know what? I'm gonna shoot my shot. What is what a story? I part of me, part of me thinks that he uh, it, and I, I I talked about this with you know some of the family up there that you know with uh you know how Auburn tried to stage something with um with Harson with uh, you know accusing him of having an improper relationship and all that. If he was winning, this none of this would have got out. Not a chance. But yes, but. She was the one that made it public before the school said anything about it. I wonder if she was trying to get, I mean, definitely trying to get ahead of it. Maybe there were some whispers going around about something and she's like, I got to save my reputation. Either way, it's a shitty situation for, for, for Michigan state to be in. Um, He definitely cheated on his wife and admitted to that at the very least. So yeah, not a good look. You know, we but. talked about it earlier in the week. Moral of the story, be a good person. 
Yes. Do nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Tucker did neither of those. And he is paying the consequence. And so does the rest of the team that he recruited. Mm-hmm. And he was getting paid to coach. Um, $74 million if he is fired without cause. In seven. seven. I don't know what he's due within the first 30 days. But again, I don't think, I mean, you know, initially. If it was you go to Michigan State and tuition doubles next year, you know why. He, oh my gosh. Um, and I think one of the reasons why Michigan State was able to pay that much is because one of their mega donors, they have a lot of, I mean, most Michigan State, um, I mean, there's a lot of Michigan State alumni that do well, but Michigan State has a, like a disproportionately large amount of like billionaires that have gone there. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins probably donates some money. He probably does. I mean, he has what, like 90 something percent of all the money that he's earned contract wise has been guaranteed. He's about yeah. to get another big fat guaranteed contract, even though he's blowing be, it with uh, Minnesota this year. Yeah, to be potentially the third best quarterback in his division. Mm-hmm. That's that in insane. Is but yeah, that that whole situation crazy. But yeah, but you're gonna you know, talk more about the actual game itself and your bandwagon. We're not a Mission State bandwagon by any means. No, 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 no. We are off the bandwagon. I think that bandwagon may have actually derailed and uh, started to crash and burn. So the line has moved to Washington as 17-point favorites over under 55 and a half. Um, Washington. Okay. Take the money line. I don't know about the over. But Michigan State has not showed much of a life this Mm -hmm. year. Um, offensively or defensively, and I think that a uh, demoralized coaching staff is not going to have what it takes to do much of anything against the Huskies. Mm-hmm. Their secondary coach, is, Michigan State's secondary coach is the interim coach, and um, Mark D'Antonio noted, I mean, the best coach and probably the best coach in that Michigan State also history. left the team high and dry as they were yeah. about to get sanctions. He was just like, Oh, hey, guys, I know you paid me a very significant amount of money like two weeks ago, but I'm out. I don't even think it was – was it even two weeks? I think it was a few days that he's like, all right, well, you, you gave me my longevity bonus, and I am out. Uh, good luck. Hey, Michigan State, if you like to hire degenerates as your head coach, um, I'd come up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't live there for January, February, or March, but I would take the job. You, I, I know, I know you're well equipped to uh, deal with all the uh, the uh, dangers of living in East Lansing, but uh, yeah, I would not want to go there, even if they pay me. Well, I, I take that back. Yeah, yeah. If, if they if paid they me seventy four million, me, I would. if they paid me and I could still live in Savannah for January, February, March, deuces, mm-hmm. I'm out. Mm-hmm. So okay, so you took Washington money line and and over. Um, no, I took Washington spread. Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Which is 17 and the, now. Did you take, did you take the over for that? I didn't. Okay. Okay. Left. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Left. So, uh, all right. So, uh, my man wagon team, of course, uh, is uh, Texas tech. They, um, their board is, their game is not on board. They're playing Tarleton state. And uh, they definitely need they definitely need to get on the winning track. Uh, starting off zero two, getting shocked against um, 
against uh, Wyoming and Laramie two weeks ago, and then blowing it against Oregon uh, against Oregon last week. Sorry, um, they, they they're uh, they're not on the board, but they for their sake and everybody's sake and my sanity, they better win. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, if they if they don't do well against Tarleton State, that I do not think they have any chance at a at a conference championship. And I I used to I used to teach geography way back in the day, last year, but Tarleton <laughs> is not a state. No, no, it is I, not. I can say that with 100% certainty. Can't even, I know, I, I cannot tell you what state that is. I assume it's Texas, but I don't know. Definitely not you a state. You have to assume it's Texas. Right? It's got to be. Yeah, uh, they're the Tarleton State Texans. There yes. you go. Big geography brain over there. <laughs> You know what? Shout out to like, all of the Texas schools for having just a big ass block T as a logo because Tarleton's <laughs> up there as well. So good for them. Can we stop just having generic block letters as logos? Like even Texas, like their alternate logo is basically the same thing as the ten, like you know, the block T for Tennessee, which is going to be very confusing. Texas has a better orange. Um, they do. Oh, great. definitely. Bird, bird orange is the one orange that I do like. Enough. Yes. yes. It's tolerable. Tolerable is the correct word there. Yeah. T for tolerable. <laughs> All right. What are your best bets of the week? All right. So I I got really excited about this one. So we, you know, we talked a lot about Texas, you know, being back or at least emerging, last, you know, earlier in the week after beating Alabama by 10 in Tuscaloosa. But uh this week they welcome in Wyoming, which again upset my bandwagon team, Texas Tech, week one. The uh, spread for that is it was 29 when I first wrote this down. I don't think it's changed. But if we're going to say that it's still 29, I'm going to go with Wyoming to cover this one. Um, especially, you know, again, coming off a big win, you know, you see, you know, you beat Alabama, you got all these good vibes coming your way. Let and then down week. Wyoming. What's that? Let down week. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 a huge letdown week. I mean, you would think I mean this is going to be well, I guess they have one more out of conference game after this, but um yeah, there's going to be a letdown for them. It's going to be this week. Now, I still I definitely think they're still going to win, but by 29 points against a team that did beat Texas Tech, that beat a team that beat Texas last year. That's a big ask for uh Texas to cover that. So, I'm going to go Wyoming that uh minus 29 there. I like it. I feel very, very comfortable. That's the most comfortable I felt about a pick like this entire show so far is that one. All right. Next, I see you've got a very intriguing game is your next one. Yeah. So, all right. So, Pitt at West Virginia, the uh, the backyard brawl. Uh, both teams are hot garbage. <laughs> Putting it lightly, <laughs> West Virginia is just utter shit. Um, they're gonna probably file if uh, if Pitt wins and wins convincingly, they're gonna fire. They're not. They're gonna fire Neil Brown on. I'm not assuming they're driving there. What like on the Greyhound going back? Because there's no way they're you know getting chartered for uh, for that, especially how bad they've been lately. Um, so not getting fired on the tarmac. But 
Um, it's a pick em at this point between the two, which is saying a lot about both, both crow rounds. Yes. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Pitt, and my my reason being is that uh, Pat Narduzzi, the uh, the Pitt coach, um, notoriously you know, kind of gruff, kind of hard to get along with kind of guy. He um he is a Mark D'Antonio understudy. He was uh, a coordinator for D'Antonio for many years when they went to the playoff and all that. And he, I mean, he has a lot of the same tendencies. I would not be shocked if. Uh, Narduzzi ends up getting hired at Michigan State, considering how Pitt's kind of fallen off recently after Kenny Pickett left. So uh, I will stop you. Okay. On Bet US at nine fifty one p.m. on Thursday, hmm. Virginia's favored by three. West Virginia's favored by three. Yep. Oh fuck. Okay. So yeah, Pitt. Pitt's gonna cover at the very least, but I still I I think they'll win. But I'll 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 take the uh, wussy way out and say that uh, Pitt will cover that three. That's insane, really. Yes, I I also think it's insane. Okay, that must be the one game that Vegas or that Bet US and uh, other others uh, other professionals that do this that build big old casinos. Uh, think that uh, West Virginia is going to win because they're that, that is insane so yeah yeah definitely pit even more so now with even more conviction no I agree with you 100 percent yeah that, on that one yeah I'll have to yeah gross okay and then my uh my last one is Northwestern going to Durham to play Duke uh Duke at the time that I wrote this is a 18 and a half point favorite and again Northwestern um they suck. I mean, there's not there's not a nice way to put it. That is the um, nice way to put it. Yeah, I mean, they um Shrek can't help them, nobody can help them. Um I don't know. It's just it, it's just a mess. I mean, they honestly would have probably been better served to just not play football this year to to get that negative publicity off of them and just Duke like so nobody can see how favored by 19. A lot, 19. a lot of lines have moved since we wrote this the other day. Shoot. Okay. So even then, I can see this being a three touchdown game. Like, especially, yeah. and I, and they probably have that built in by the fact that all of us remember, especially because it was on Labor Day night, Duke, you know, kicking the crap out of uh, Clemson at home. But even then, I mean, Northwestern is not a good team. They are no. god awful. Um, so I'm going to take, uh, take Duke, uh, minus 19 and feel, and I do feel really good about that. Yeah, no, I like all of yours, and um, surprisingly, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I do not necessarily like picking spreads. I like over-unders a lot more, but I have three spreads that I'm okay. taking this week. Hmm. Um, first one, TCU in Houston's first ever Big 12 conference game. TCU is favored by seven going to Houston. Oh, it's seven now? What's that? It, it's seven now? Yes, drop okay. seven. Um, okay. Houston's not good this year. They're it's not that they're not very good. It's not that they're like not good. Like they're borderline bad this year. Now, if 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 Northwestern and uh, Houston played at a neutral site, who would win? I might pick. I might pick Houston if I'm being honest. I mean, just by sheer luck, you'd you'd think that they would have better athletes in Houston, even if they just recruited locally than uh, the Chicago land area. 
And it doesn't hurt that they have uh, probably lesser academic standards. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Um, no, nah, man. TCU minus seven at Houston. The big, I think a lot of people are overreacting from TCU losing to Colorado because TCU is still a good team. They're not a great team. They are a good team. Houston mm-hmm. is a bad team. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me I don't, that TCU has to win by a touchdown and a field goal or a touchdown and a two-point conversion? I'm taking the horny lizards all day. Let's go. I'm with you there. I, I I don't see a situation where I mean Houston got blown up by Rice last week, right at home. Correct. No, it was in Rice. It was at Rice. It, it doesn't matter. I don't. Yeah. I really don't think it does. Which that's another thing. They they were playing at a Big Twelve school again, only for a couple weeks. But playing at Rice is a probably not a great look. But whatever. In state school. So, so for my next. My next pick. A lot of people are probably not going to agree with this. And if I'm being honest, I don't care. Syracuse, two and a half point favorites going to Purdue. I understand Purdue is occasionally a tough pace to play. Hmm. Um, Nobody gets out of West Lafayette and like comes back the same. You want to know why I do not care? Why? Fresno State beat Purdue at home in week one, 39-35. I don't care... <laughs> What you have to say about Purdue, they are no longer the spoiler makers. They they are one and one because they lost to a Mac team at home in week one. Meanwhile, Syracuse. Let me read you Syracuse resume so far because it's actually impressive. 48 to 7 Western Michigan. 65 to 0 Colgate. And you're telling me I Syracuse has to win by a field goal? They beat the crap out of that toothpaste. Good for them. You're telling me Syracuse has to win by a field goal against a team that lost to Fresno State at home. Give me the orange. I don't care if it's not in a dome. Too easy. Mm -hmm. Is it still two and a half? Two and a half. Wow. Okay. That is good. Insane. Mm -hmm. Picking another... Big Ten game. I have no idea what's gotten into me. I just think that um, I'm smarter than Vegas when it comes to these boring ass schools. I guess. I mean, they've been they people have long been calling you Big Ten John. I you know, I don't think any of those things are true. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so next game, Penn State, 15 point favorites at Illinois. Um. Would you like to know, if you don't know already, who Illinois lost to last week? Well, they – they oh, oh, they lost to Kansas, right? They lost to Kansas by 11 points. And it should have been way worse than that. Kansas is up by, like, three scores at one point. Yep. Um, before that, Illinois beat Toledo by two points. They needed a field goal as time expired to beat Toledo at night in Champaign. Yep. Um, meanwhile, Penn State beat West Virginia 38-15 in week one and then demolished Delaware State. I understand it's Delaware State. 63-0, to and the starters did not play most of the second half. Mm-hmm. Delaware State scored in the first few minutes of the game and not again. Mm-hmm. 
Penn State minus 15 at Illinois. It seems like the Big Ten games are just steals right now. Yeah. I did add two more while we were talking. Um, okay. So you so you went with Penn State there, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and these are back on my bullshit. I'm hitting some overs here. Georgia Tech at Ole Miss. Georgia Tech at Ole Miss, the over-under, I did not put it in here, but I will find it real quick. Great radio here. Just well, you know, I, while you're while you're getting that, if you could, if any of y'all are in the Atlanta area, oh no, it's at Ole Miss. Never mind. At if Ole you're Miss. in, uh, if you're in Oxford, um, I I would assume that game would be super cheap to get into because nobody wants to watch Georgia Tech. So the over is 63. So they got to get 64 points to hit the over. Here is why I'm confident in this over. Ole Miss has shown the ability to win by passing the football. Their defense mm-hmm. has shown the ability to create turnovers. They've shown the ability to rush the passer. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech actually looks competent at football this year, going down to the wire against Louisville. Mm-hmm. having a great offensive performance in the first half in that game, came back last week and won big. I would love for Ole Miss to honestly make this under hit just because it makes the Ole Miss wins the West pick look even better for you. Yep. But I do think that Haynes King, someone who, while he was at Texas A&M, showed a – good ability to beat a Pete Golding defense. I think that Georgia Tech has the ability to push Ole Miss. I do think Ole Miss still wins the game, So, but take the over on this. And also, I think we both want to retract our statement um, that we said to Grayson in the summer about if Ole Miss loses to Georgia Tech, that um, they should be kicked out of the SEC. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should be kicked out of the SEC, but I think they should definitely get a probationary period. But, Which something they're used to. Fair. Very yeah. fair. Um, I do think Ole Miss still wins this game, but I think the over is the move on this one. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's it's only 17 and a half. Huh. Yeah. I huh. that that is the one game that I've looked at that makes me think. Vegas knows something I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last game yeah. I'm picking this week. Go ahead. No, I, was saying, I like the over with you. I'm. I agree with that. That's that seems seems like a good bet. But yeah, go ahead. Last game I'm picking this week. Um, I will probably regret doing five bets again this week, but is what <laughs> it is here. That is Hawaii at Oregon. I am taking the over, which is sixty eight and a half points. The reason I say that is that because Oregon has shown the ability to score a ton of points while Hawaii gave up a ton of points mm-hmm. to Vanderbilt. If you're asking me who has a better offense between Oregon and Vanderbilt, Oregon eight days out <laughs> of the week. Yeah. So I think this hits the over because Oregon has already shown us this season that they are serious about attempting to make college football playoff and they are mm-hmm. going to 
beat whatever team they have to into the dirt to show that their offense is good enough. So you think that Oregon is going to score at least 69? I think combined they score 69. Oh, that's what I mean. I mean, they oh, Oregon could very well score over 69 just themselves too. Probably not. Probably not this time, but combined 60, at least 69. I don't think 56, 14 is out of the question. I don't say higher than that's out of the question, mm-hmm. but I, I think 56, 14 is, uh, is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's a good one. I like that. All right, guys. So for the third week in a row, we are going to try to get the Calling the Dog segment into the episode here. If you can't hear it, once again, I just apologize. I'm technologically illiterate and trying to figure this shit out. But before we do that, I do want to tell you what the phone number is, and that is 678 678- Four six five eight zero two zero. Leave us a voicemail, giving us your best WWE style promo, or if you're drunk and obnoxious after the game, like we hope you are, give us a shout out there, and you can make it on the recap show. But I'm gonna try to play the voicemail. Right. Oh, hold. I am very sorry, guys. First of all, I just want to say, guys, that Texas Longhorns podcast that I've never heard of that ghosted you guys last week, I'll tell them exactly where they could shove those Longhorns they love so much. Horns down forever. Now, let's talk about South Carolina for a minute. I hope South Carolina's fans who happen to be showing up to the game, however few of them there might be, are wearing black because they are about to watch the funeral of Beamerball. Let's talk about the two teams' trajectories this season. You've got Georgia that's beaten two opponents by six touchdowns the top and still isn't satisfied with it. And then you've got South Carolina, who's out here losing games to ACC teams and then blaming hot dogs for it. Which team do you think is doing better? On top of that, you've got a player running around saying Sanford Stadium isn't one of the loudest ones that he has been in. Are you trying to lose this game? Now, despite all of this, I've still got South Carolina fans in my DMs trying to talk to me about 2019. Because if you don't remember, South Carolina came into Sanford Stadium in 2019 and got a fluke victory. Again, if you've got to bring up games from four years ago, you're probably not very good. But I was there in 2019. You beat a very good team in 2019. It was kind of a fluke, but you did beat a very good team in 2019. Congratulations for that. But that team did not have, for instance, Malachi Starks. That team did not have, for instance, my favorite new player on this team, Makai Muse. And most importantly, that team did not have Brock Forrest, a man who puts the tight in tight end, a man who puts the power in power pie, and a man who puts the you-know-what in game cock. So I don't see this game going particularly well for you in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think the only snowball's chance in hell you might have is that we continue to get this injury bug off. But I don't think that's going to happen. And even if it did, you still got to worry about your facts that your lines of scrimmage look about as weak as a paper mache wall. So have fun with that, and go dogs. 
Shout out once again, Caleb Tillman. If it didn't show up in the stream, it will show up on the audio version. So go check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Um, also check us out on Instagram. We just crossed that 900 follower threshold. Thanks to you guys for showing us support there at nothing.finder.pod, Twitter at FinderPod, Facebook and YouTube. Just search us there. Any five-star rating and review where you send us a screenshot will get you a sticker and or feet picks. You can decline the feet picks if you'd like to, but that is 100% on mic. Um, yes means yes, have, no means no. Do you have anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, I'm looking for uh, a forward to uh, Georgia playing an SEC game this week. So, and uh, looking forward to my son playing first tackle football game. Go Eagles! It's apropos that he's on the Eagles, just because all dogs go to the do- uh, go to the Eagles. So, love that, love beautiful. That. Um, I know we're primarily a football podcast, but I do want to shout out the. NL East champion Atlanta Braves for clinching the East with 16 games left to play. Not only did they do that, they did it in Philly with the fans booing them. They put the champagne in the Braves locker room at the beginning of the bottom of the night when the Phillies were only down three runs. Um, When you know, you know. Arguably one of the best baseball teams ever assembled by – in the modern era, mm-hmm. shout out to the Atlanta Braves. Shout Six out to three. you guys for being here and listening to us. And as always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land than a drunken Boxer Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.